You're joining us for episode 65 of the Rocky Talkie Podcast. I'm your host, Rocky Riccatoni. Um, tonight's cool because uh, as my guest is pouring himself a little drink, we're going to do a little, little synopsis of how this came to be, this interview. So one of the great things about being in hospitality, uh, specifically a coffee shop, is the people watching and the people learning and getting to know those people. And uh, you're, you're especially lucky if, as an owner or manager of a coffee shop, you get to have the presence of an artist who chooses to your space to come and hang out and uh, do their work. Um, in Toronto, there were a number of artists that were kind of like beloved barflies where they would sit at the end of the bar and they would spend literally four hours practicing their craft of sketching and drawing. And I really loved that about my time in Toronto. And when we opened up St. James here uh, eight years ago, um, not, right off the, not right at the beginning, but a couple years in, um, I noticed a, a gentleman who was incredibly talented by the name of Michael Byers. He was hanging out and uh, quietly sipping his coffee and making beautiful things in this little sketch pad. And I got to know him a little bit. And uh, when I had the idea of doing the podcast, his name was immediately put in the bucket list. And uh, although it's taken two years to get him here, I don't know why, uh, he's joining me tonight. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Michael Byers, that's, that's how you say it, right? That's, I should have asked I that. I mean... How, how do, how, what's the proper... Mike. Mike? Most people call me Mike. Okay, right. I just... For some reason, I just felt like when I got out of art school, I was like, hey, Michael sounds better. Sounds more professional. Isn't that funny how we do that? Yeah. yeah. And it's hilarious because my brother-in-law, uh, who I love dearly, um, only calls me by my full name. Michael. Calls me, no, Michael Byers. Calls, uh, me, really? calls me Michael Byers. You want a coffee, Michael Byers? Can I get you? I love that. You know what? There's about five people in my life that I just, for some reason, I have to say their full name. I don't know why. I don't know if it's certain names more musical than others. But I, I just, I get a kick out of doing it. I don't know why, uh, but I won't do that to you. Mike, Mike, it is. I love that you showed up with a sketchbook. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't going to bring one, but then I thought, why not? I love it. In case you felt like you're looking through. I love it. So you're no stranger to the, to the podcast. One of my favorite things about this very long distance relationship you and I have had via social media is we've kind of supported each other by kind of, you know, enjoying each other's work and processes that you've been very engaging with me about um, some episodes that have come through and shot me some encouragement and shared some uh, shared experiences. And, and, and that's not lost. I mean, that really, I really appreciate that. Those little nuggets of encouragement are so dear to me because they let you know you're kind of on the right track and it's mm. resonating with, with people. So I, I want to say a heartfelt thank you to you for, for all of your support in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, well, boy, I just lost my train of thought. I was just so like lost in my gratitude. I lost my thrill line. But uh, because you listen, you kind of know the, 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 the organic flow of these conversations. And one of my favorite things to, to camp on at the side of the road is origin story. Um, Creatives specifically, I'm always fascinated by um, when and where and how the spark began in a creative's life. And some people don't remember. Some people remember exactly what they were wearing when those happened. I I, got to hear from you. When did the the pencil and the paper first fell in love? I think for me, I... 
I don't think it's like the specific moment, but I do remember uh, a time specifically art related, which was in grade one. Hmm. And I was in um, Mrs. Douglas's class and Corey Zawanaga, who rest his soul. Um, I come to learn more recently, the reason why I can't get a hold of him on social media oh, is because no. he passed when he was in his 20s, I think. Maybe his 30s. Anyways, he passed from cancer years ago. I never knew that. And I found out from someone later, just like a year ago. Um, but I was trying to always get in touch with him. You know, he get a hold of, you know, old friends and stuff from right. the past. And you, you know, reach out. Oh, hey, how you been? Or, so I was like, oh, I've always wanted to credit him for, because back then he used to draw dinosaurs. And I used to love the way he drew. So I would copy the way he drew dinosaurs. Wow. And then he showed me how he drew people, and I copied that. And then I remember vividly, um, I was super into WWF wrestling, now WWE, I guess. I, was, I watched it religiously, all the WrestleManias. So I would make my own um, wrestling books, like a compendium of like, draw the, the, the uh, wrestler, the stats about him or whatever. And, and I remember, and then that just set me off, and I just loved, I would watch drawing shows. Mm. Um, there was a drawing show I used to watch as a kid called Secret Saturdays. I've never heard of that. It was with Commander Mark, and he was a, he was always super like animated, vibrant guy. He would be all right, guys. Like all right, let's go, and we're gonna need to have like a this like flight suit on with like sharpies or whatever. Okay, okay, and, and tucked into like a you know his sleeve or whatever, and. And he used to draw uh, three-dimensional shapes and these aliens and stuff. It was really cool. So I got inspired by him, and I would draw murals on my wall, like walls and stuff. And then uh, years ago, when I passed, um, like when I passed, uh, whatever, graduated from art school, I found out that he was still sort of doing like cartoony type stuff or whatever online, like a teaching or whatever. Okay. So I reached out to him and I thanked him. I'm like, oh, thank wow. you for, and he was like. Oh, great. Like, so weird. I was, wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting like, even like a thank you or, oh, that's so kind. But he was like super sarcastic. Like, oh, I'm sorry I did that to you, whatever. And I'm like, never meet your oh. heroes. You're right. <laughs> oh man. That's kind of a bummer. But yeah, that's why I would just, all my, and you know, when that cliche saying I, I've been drawing all my life and, uh, which is true. I mean, I've been drawing since I was a kid. I just, for some reason, I don't know if it was the, um, escapism part of it or but i just loved creating and i always got that that uh excitement of like when you make something mm. out of nothing and it's like right. and it's you know oh cool i did that you know i made that thing that's an excellent answer yeah that was good that's what my ears wanted to hear that was a, that was really good uh partly because i was thinking about you know what we would what we would cover and and i I had an anecdotal thing as well that I wanted to share with you. And it, it takes place in grade one as well. Mm. And uh, it was at Holy Rosary grade school in Burlington. And I was sitting next to Joey Rizzi and we were both coloring in the same coloring page. And it was of the Smurfs. Mm. And I was so pissed off that I could not stay within the lines. I was highly critical and highly like detail oriented, but for some reason it was like just beyond me at that point to just stay within the lines. And, and when I glanced over at my, my desk partner, Joey, not only was he in the lines, but he had this consistent 
faded um, command of his pencil, of his, of his crayon, mm. and this consistent wash of blue. It wasn't, there was nothing, yeah, go for it. There was nothing archaic or inconsistent about his little eight-year-old or seven-year-old hand, six-year-old hand, however you are in grade, in grade one. And I was so jealous. <laughs> so, so put out that he had done such a good job and it was beyond me. I couldn't comprehend like why he could and I couldn't. But that was a, that was a very early age, and, and and seeing the marked difference between someone who was artistic and someone who was not, and that it can start showing up that early. Yeah, that's very very cool. And it's funny when you see, like, there's people that are like so many people are creative and and artistic. Or I was just listening to a podcast; they were interviewing um, Paul Giamatti. Okay. And he was talking about how he, um, when he was in high school, he worked for the school newspaper and he used to draw the cartoons for the school newspaper uh. and he loved drawing. And there's a lot of famous people like that, or just people in general that do other things mm-hmm. that don't do like what I do or don't do any kind of art as a job. And my sister included who, my older sister, who was very, I almost re- recall very creative. I feel like when she was younger. And I remember when you bring up the coloring, she was way better. I don't know if it was an impatient thing, if I wasn't, didn't have any patience for it, but she was way better at coloring than I was. Mm. And I was always, I was jealous of her. Like, I'm right. like, oh, she can do so good. She's so good at those. Or she would make really good title pages. Like, remember we had to make title pages <laughs> yes. for things when yes. you're in grade school. Yes, first day of school, this is your folder. Design it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I loved when I got to high school and we had textbooks and we would always cover them in the brown paper. Right, right, oh, yeah. I, I went through so many different covers because I would always just fill it up doodling in class. I That's so ba- cool. Barely listen. <laughs> I wish I, I kept them. But I, how old are you? Are we the same age? I'm 45. Are you? I yeah, don't want same age. Yeah. Okay, okay, I'll be I'll be 46 in a couple of weeks. Okay, it was the WWF that kind of uh, got me going on on the on the age comparison there? Mm-hmm. Um, 77. Same. Okay, right on. I'm, I'm always surrounded by younger people. It's nice to talk to a, to a colleague. Um, there's so many, so many ways I want to, I want to go with this. Um, and I always want to do things chronologically, but I don't think necessarily we need to, I will ask this. Do you think that the, com- the comparison in that, that raw like sting of, Oh, they're so good at that. And I'm not, how much do you think that played into your pursuit of art, even at that young age, do you think that somewhere subconsciously that was the beginning of the pursuit of excellence and, and growth? I don't know, to be honest with you. I feel like I'm always amazed that I pursued anything <laughs> because it wasn't until just like three years ago, maybe going through therapy, I realized that like I've had such low self-worth forever mm. that I feel like I was always self-sabotaging myself. Like I probably, you know, this, oh, if I had a, you know, I don't regret anything or any decision, but like, it's funny. I don't feel like I consciously, not until I finished art school and actually got more confidence in my skills and got better that I actually can remember consciously like striving to be better for some, you know, but before that, I don't, I don't know if I just ever just felt like, oh, I'm not good enough. I never felt good enough. Mm. And that was a, more of a, that's a whole separate podcast probably, yeah, yeah, but you know, yeah. 
but it's just that thing where like i i mean i suppose it was played a bit of a role in it but um yeah i don't know if it was the full i just i think i just loved doing it i think it was more of like a pure right enjoyment of and i think really escapism probably Mm -hmm. from whatever was going on that i wasn't aware of maybe that again i didn't even realize and that's what therapy helps you bring out right because i know in high school like i would do i just like i would literally just grade through high school it was that thing where like i know i'm smart and I could have got better grades and I could have, should have, would have, but it's like 100%, you know, I, I got better grades in French and German than I did in English. Cause I just, I never read any of the stories that we read, any of the books I would just quickly read and BS my way through the, <laughs> through the essays. Yeah. And so like, I just wanted to, so anytime I had a chance, I was just always drawing, like we'd be in class and I'd be, I wouldn't never mind what's going on in right. class. I'd be doodling, not paying attention at all. Um, but I mean, Obviously, it led to something. But that said, I mean, I went. So, if we were going to ju- jump ahead, I went six years after high school without any art. Really? Um, so, what happened when I graduated high? Yeah, high school was ninety six. So, when I graduated, I wanted to go to college. I applied to Sheridan for animation because that was the the place to go. Yep. It was like Disney was coming. Like um, they would snatch people out of their second year if they were good enough. Wow. Or like. It was just known that you would get a job with Disney. They pay a ton of money. You'd be set. You'd probably move to California or whatever, Florida, wherever they were working or the studios were. So I, I applied and then got in and not into animation, but into art fundamentals, I think it was. And I just panicked and I was like, oh, it was like they found, told me like a week before school would have started. And I was like, uh, I'm never going to be good enough to do that why hmm. where are we gonna get the money and how am i gonna do that uh, skip it i'll just i'll get a part-time job and and i was living at home so i'm like i'll just work and then i just got jobs and my sister got me a job at the y and i worked there for four years and worked full-time and just was that nagging at you in the back of your head that you you had a you had an opportunity and that you were kind of hanging out and not doing it like how much how much space did that take up in your mind at the time not a lot a little bit at first, and then not a lot. And then I met when I, I met I hung out with this one friend of mine who's still a pal who lives in Guelph actually, and he's an artist. And he went to school to Sheridan for illustration, and I saw what he did, and I was kind of envious of that. And I was like, oh, I wish I kind of done mm. that. And so what ended up happening was I just did all these jobs. And it wasn't until like almost in the six years later. Um, I was working construction, which I actually enjoyed. And, and then I realized like, especially with the factory jobs I had and I was like, I don't want to be a lifer at these jobs. I mean, no offense to any of those people that work those jobs. I mean, God bless them. We need those people to do that. But I just knew I didn't want to be there. Like what really did it for me was working at a factory and this guy who was 23, maybe he's 24. He was like a year younger than me at the time. And he goes, Oh, I'm stuck. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. What do you mean? And it's because he already had a wife and he already had a kid and they already had a house they bought together. Wow. And I'm like, I get that, but you're still only 24. Yeah. Like that guy that's 50 that's been here for so many 40 years. Yeah, he's probably stuck. Yeah. You know, he probably just can't get another job. But you're so young. And I was like, I don't want to feel that ever. That's sobering. Yeah. So I just, I, I knew I, it was that thing where I was like, oh, I'm pretty good at art. Hmm. I still probably 
I was good at art or it could be. So let's, maybe I'll go back for something creative. Were you still, were you still doing art though in those, those years of not doing construction? I started doing art again. So a friend of mine who graduated from Sheridan, his name is Trevor and he's an artist in a fine artist in, um, in Montreal. Um, he showed me his work and I was like, Oh, maybe I'll start painting. So I started trying to do like abstract. I thought I could be an abstract painter. So I started painting, doing whatever. And, um, that got the bug and got the itch. And I, so I applied for graphic design and I got into Mohawk and then he showed me his illustration portfolio. And I was like, Whoa, no, that's what I want to do. I want to draw like that. And, and then, so he said, well, apply. And if it's not too late, you could maybe get into the art fundamentals program. So I did that and I got into the art fundamentals program and I said, okay, screw it. I'm going to go. So I like, it was before the graphic design started. So I dropped out. And I got my money back, and that was great, and it worked out fine. So I went to Sheridan for Art Fundamentals. It's a one-year thing. Um, there's no guarantee you get into the program you want, but it's a better right. chances. So I did end up getting in, thankfully, into illustration, did that for four years, got a degree, and then started working ever since. And when I was in there, I almost dropped out because I was feeling, like, unfulfilled. It felt like it was boring. And then eventually they put me into another class with these other people that were actually better than me. Because mm. not to at the time I was like the strongest one in the class. I was the better one in the class, and so it was nice when I got into that one because there's the people that were so talented, so good at not only just drawing but just like coming with ideas, right. all these other, everything. And I was so that became like the nice catalyst to be like, okay, whoa, I got to step right. it up and right. And that was great, and that worked out well, and and yeah, it was funny because. There was like a mix of like, I don't know. I've always had this like incessant fight against FOMO. (laughs) And then also like, and that also comes with the I'm not good enough thing. And so like when stuff happens, I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'm not good enough or whatever. And it's funny because it it came through even after school. Like it's always creeps up sometimes, you know, even to this day, I still fight against it. I think we all do. I'm not good enough. Has I'm not good enough made you good? I don't want to get Freudian and like have ask leading questions, but I, I it, there it is a it is kind of a hound of hell where it does pursue you and and in the running from it you're running to something and luckily hopefully we run to where we got to get to. I mean, I guess so because in a way, I guess it's it's led me to therapy, which learn help me learn that i am good enough and that i am mm. worthy and and um good for you and and just no just i mean it's still a little bit of a the odd day i have where it's like a you know fake it till you make it right you keep telling yourself that till you believe it sort of thing what 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 drew so was 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 art ultimately the 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 thing that led you to therapy no i think it was more um having a kid <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was, that'll do it. It was, it was, uh, it was that, and and just some stuff going on with my wife, and I just like, I just knew, I just felt like I was becoming like my parents, mm. and I didn't want to do that, and then mm. I didn't, I wanted to, fi- it's almost like I wanted to figure out why, why, why is this, you know, because you can say all you want when you have kids. Oh, I'm not going to say this. I'm not going to do this, or I'm, I won't be like this with them. And then all of a sudden, you, next thing you know, your you're kid doesn't listen to you or whatever, and you're doing 
And then you find yourself, I'm like, oh my God, that's exactly how my mom talked to me or whatever. And I didn't like that part of me and I wanted to know where it was coming from or tried to figure that out. And so I did that EMDR stuff where it's kind of like um, eye, rapid eye movement or something okay. sort of thing. And then we, they had, she had me go way back, which was great because we finally figured out that everything pretty much stemmed to when my dad left when I was two. Damn. They divorced when I was two. And, and I mean, God bless my dad. He was, oh, he never left like, see ya, peace out. Right. Like, he was always there um, and spent time with us like he, quite often. You know, I think when we were little, I, my sister knows all the details more than I do. She was a little older. But if I recall, I feel like he, for years, like he would, come get us like at least once a week or once every two weeks. Like he was that dedicated in the sense that like he would, his weekends were like Wednesday, Thursday sort of with his schedule. So he would come get us in Cambridge. He was living in Mississauga. He would come get us in Cambridge, bring us back to his place overnight and then bring us back the next day to school just so we could spend time with him. So, I mean, I, you know, I appreciate him for that. Um, he's, uh, <laughs> I mean, he's not with us now, but, um, but yeah, I mean, like, so I think everything was from them and then everything from that point on, like just gets, you know, just compounds as like, you know, so things my mom would say to me would be like, you know, make you think I'm not, you know, that just even the little small things like, um, her threats, like when we get in an argument, she'd threatened to send me to live with my dad. And then I'd be that kid, like in the, doing that cried talking like i don't want to live with my dad because quite frankly for years i just always called him an acquaintance that i say i love you to that i because right. i didn't know him right. really and so and he was big and scary then because he wasn't he was a teddy bear he wasn't a scary guy but he was six six two you know six one when i'm a kid and he's sure. always he's way heavier than me or heftier than me so like as a little kid i'm like that's a big dude. He's a towering you, figure. Yeah, and you behave, and yeah. he's dad. And he's, you know, we're not comfortable around him, so that's why we behaved around him all the time. Right. Mom, you know, as we're teenagers, it F you, F this, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But him, it's like, nope. Right. You know, he wouldn't say anything, right? Is he still with us today, your dad? No, he passed uh, 2010. Okay. 10-10-10. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's going to be easy to remember. He made it easy for us. <sighs> I love how uh, forthcoming you are with your story, man. That's you're, you're making my job real easy. You're, you're just going there. I love it. Thank you. Um, as a, taking another quantum leap, listening to like how how long we've been on the earth. You know, we're forty five ish. I was thinking just today, and, and this goes into the whole escapism thing with what we do with our hands and and. This also made me think about the fact that I'm so grateful that I have a life's work, that I have a job that I genuinely love. I love, I'm a musician and I'm a chef. Mm -hmm. Um, The chef thing is what makes me make money. And thank God in heaven that I love it. Mm -hmm. And when I'm prepping and when I'm doing and I'm watching cooking shows and I'm designing menus and I'm shopping, like... I'm so thankful because there was a time in my youth that I wasn't sure I'd ever find normality or consistency or a peaceful existence or landing on my feet and getting to that thing. 
And just how happy I am that I can say I'm someone who found his calling. Sitting at this microphone, sitting with a guitar, and standing with a knife. That's my calling. And uh, how many people that I know can't say that? They have this pragmatic existence where they're, they're doing the right thing. They're doing a good thing. They're doing a job to get the job done for the family. But guys like us, we're lucky to be able to have both. Mm. And how grateful I am that I know what that is. Yeah. Um, and it's not even really a question. It's just something I'm sharing with you. Just, just hearing you talk. We're just really lucky guys. Like, that's what we do. And it's so nice to love what we do. Yeah, that's definitely not lost on me. I, I'm super grateful. I, I, um, I remember specifically. I mean, I don't. I sorry, I don't say specifically. I don't know exactly when it was, um, but I know I was little, maybe twelve-ish, thirteen-ish, maybe. And I had no idea what a commercial artist was. I just assumed it was. Um, I thought I heard the term, and I assumed it meant you get paid for art or something. Right, yeah. And I remember someone said, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I said, a commercial artist. I said, I'm going to get paid. And that was before the six years of hiatus or whatever. And then the confidence grew when I was in in art school. And I remember um, (laughs) I had this amazing teacher in my fourth year, a very polarizing guy. He was either you loved him or you hated him, the way he operated. I remember vividly the first day of, of class. He looks like his work. He's one of those people. He looks like, when you see his work, and he looks like his work. He comes in with like. I love that. Um, like a, a flaming hot, like flames all over it, like button up shirt. His hair is all about, means like, like real eccentric, eccentric guy. And he comes in and he goes, uh, you guys all suck. Hmm. He said, the goal for you is by the end of the year to suck less than the guy next to you. Hmm. And he said, uh, anybody want to show me your sketchbooks? Uh, <laughs> nope. <laughs> so I said, sure. And I just started one. So it was a little, mostly just black and white, which is ironic because that's what I do now. It's mostly just black and white. But he starts flipping through like a few pages and he goes, what are you afraid of color? Huh. And I was like, it was like, it, he, it hits you. But then at the same time, I was like, well, I guess I could try. And then, and then cause he pushes you. That's what I loved about it. And cause at, at that time I was, I was a sponge. I was six years out of school. I was like ready to learn. And I was teach me whatever you needed to know. And I had such a good perspective. I know looking back um, versus the younger kid that just comes out of, high school or whatever, because they would get whiny about um, instructors not being good instructors. And yes, I, some of my instructors, I won't name them, but they weren't great instructors. But I took value from every single one because they were, at the time, most of them were working illustrators mm-hmm. and they were doing what I wanted to be doing. Right. So I can learn something, whether it's how they do their process, whether it's, you know, I tried to tell the other students, I'm like, you literally just take in everything they they give you and then just filter, filter out the, it up. the garbage that 100%. you don't want. Yep. And I remember one day he comes in the class and it was like a, the process was kind of like you give the assignment next week you go in and you write your name on the board and you show him one by one your process and how things are coming along. He'll give you feedback and blah, blah, blah. And then the next week would assignment would be due sort of thing. And I remember coming into class only two people had their name on the board and he puts out like 10 finished pieces of work. And he goes, this is what I did this week. What did you guys get done? And uh, no one had anything to show him. And he was just mad because he drives in from Waterloo at the mm. time. And he's like, look, like I'm, you know, it's, it's, 
illustration is not for everybody. He said, some of you could be whatever, retail, whatever you're going to do, but it's not for every. He said, probably only five of you are going to be doing this for a living Oof. when you graduate. And I just turned to everybody and said, sucks to be you guys. Uh, good for you. And, and it was hilarious because I was just like, I, for some reason at that point, I knew I'm going to be doing this. And I'm one of maybe three mm-hmm. that I graduated with that are still doing it. I would say you, uh, you were very, very lucky oh. to be under the tutelage of a maverick like that. But those are the kind of guys that they write scripts around. That's a, that's a dead poet society kind of yeah. experience. That's yeah. very cool. Good yeah, he was great. I wonder. I wonder if he would have if he would have resonated with you the way he did, and if you would have been ready to receive if you didn't go through that schism of six years. I don't think so. Yeah. I think I would have been. I agree. I would have been like some of the people and just really put down and and just discouraged by it. You lived enough life to go. Yeah, hey, I can handle this. Yep. Very cool. And it was yeah. Well, yeah. You do construction. You have to have a pretty solid yep. back. You know the yep. stuff they do to you. Absolutely. Um, so I just was like, I just, I was more grateful and I just looked at it more as he had one time I had the sketchbook open. I had like, I don't know, I think it was like a dog on the right page. I drew some kid sitting at a desk maybe on the left page or something like that. And I drew a dog on the right page and I was just, okay, that's done. Then over here and he came over, he took my pen and he drew a line across the page and he said, there, now it's a picture. Wow. He's like, why does it have to be separate like that? Why can't you make those be, why can't they live in the same picture? Why can't, you know, why can't you put flames on his head? Why can't you, you know, just really pushing you to. I'm jealous of your experience with him. See, I never got to learn under a master. Um, I was very rebellious the first 20 years of my life, but I am a good student. And I do love the old school traditional approach to a lot of things and the idea of, being under a master and um, mentorship mm-hmm. is a lovely thing. And mm-hmm. I've, I've been fortunate to be a mentor in different areas of my life. I'm kind of a perpetual big brother. I say that a lot. But I, in terms of cooking, I never got a chance to learn under a great. I was self-taught, right. which I'm very proud of, but that would have been nice. And so when mm-hmm. I'm hearing your story, I'm like, man, you're really, really fortunate to experience that. This guy's yeah. just ripping off the the paradigm of things for you yeah that's that's he, amazing he did, he did another one where um i remember because so you you basically pick your discipline so to speak and so i was the first year um my year was the first year that graduated from sheridan is where i went with a degree so we okay. were the first of the degree so the be- people before us were a diploma so they were only three-year program so when we hit year three, technically that was the end of the original program. Okay. And then we do an extra year. So what they did for us was at the end of my third year, I just did whatever for, we did a year end show, which is what they do every year, um, every graduating year. So they did that for us because that they would have had one anyways for the diplomas. So they thought it would be weird to just, they have prizes, they have awards, they have all these things, and they would just like, what, hold on to them for no reason? Mm-hmm. So they thought, well, let's do one anyway. So we basically had two year-end shows. They just didn't do as an elaborate as one as they did for our fourth year. Gotcha. So it was just done at the school. It was, wasn't as big a deal. It was cool for me, though, because I got best in show. I shared it with another guy. Right on. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I felt like the next year, I almost tightened up a bit. I was a lot more loose then. I was doing a lot more drawing. And I remember, um, I remember after school, I remember a, a colleague or a school or peer or whatever in my class, he said, your drawings are a lot stronger than your paintings. So when I was in fourth year, I decided I wanted to paint. I was really inspired or really into these 
um, what do you call them? They call it pop sur- these surrealist artists or whatever they call them from like California. Uh, Mark Rydens, these all these guys who do these amazing paintings. I could even fathom getting close to as good as them. Anyways, but at the time I wanted to do that, and I was super into their stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to do that kind of stuff. And I thought because painting's hard, yeah. drawing's easy. Painting's hard. And I remember he said to me one time when I told him that, and he said, "Well, if you feel like you've drawn everything, you haven't drawn enough." Mm. And then that stuck with me, and I was like, "Oh, right." I should probably just draw more. I probably still need to draw more because I probably am not as good at drawing as I think I am sort of thing. Right. And then that led to me just, and then that other comment the student made is led me to just concentrate on drawing more than painting. And then, so that's where that led to. You've had some really great creative roadmap moments. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, a, that's awesome. I think about, well, I want to know in your process of drawing, well, let's start with this. I, I, I must, I, not always, but nine and a half times out of ten, I'm listening to music when I prep. Any music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm, by virtue of the fact I am a musician, but I, I just, I love it. And uh, it's a sound, I live in a soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of melodramatic that way. No, uh, I, I absolutely agree. So I'm, I'm the exact same way. I want to hear about that from you. Yeah. When, when you're, uh, what, are you, what are you listening to? What's, what's in the environment that you are immersed in while you're doing your work? So it varies a lot. But music's huge. So that's funny because that's, I feel like, I'll, I'll circle back to that. Sure. But going way back to what you said about um, the, the, the finding your calling and the, um, how was I going to put it? But just when you were little, finding that moment where you knew that something like music was a thing or, because like I feel like when you said that it resonated because I was like, I never really realized I probably had that too, right? But didn't realize it until now. You until you basically said it retrospective. Yeah, yeah and yeah. it's wild to think that I probably, as a little boy or as a little kid, had those things happen that made me feel that way. And I was when you were talking about that, I was just wondering. I was going to ask you if you, because the thing I feel like is, I remember I had a girlfriend once who said to me, funny when we were breaking up, or she said. Uh, um, you're never going to love anybody as much as you love your work. Oof. And it hit hard because I'm like, that's probably true. Oof. That's probably like, wow. Because I feel like art's been the only constant thing throughout my entire life. Wow. Like the most constant, not the only, the most constant. It's, gr- it's grounded, it grounded you. Yeah, yeah, it did really. And yeah. then same with, but funny enough, it came to light for me, same with music. Mm. Because I'm not a musician, but when I was in um, those years of, of not doing art, I guess I was doing art in the sense I was super into music with my friends, so I was DJing a lot. Right on. I was, um, I was DJing hip-hop and R&B and reggae because my friends all DJed house music and drum and bass, and they, that's what got me into it, going to raves and going to... Uh, what, year, what year was this? What would have been? Like late have been 90s? Like, ni- yeah, 97, 96, 97, 98. Were you a, were you a Massive Attack prodigy guy? No, no, no. I was like all hip-hop and then like especially the 90s hip-hop and then like i didn't know any of the house music really but i loved like what i was listening to because mm-hmm. so my friends know it all like they that's what they did their their whole thing my one friend had a 
he, him and his brother opened an after hours club, probably illegal. When I look back at in hindsight yeah, yeah. in Kitchener that we pay five bucks and you go and they would just get DJs and cool. It was a lot of fun. Um, <clears throat> going to raves was a lot of fun anyway. So that continued throughout until I just stopped DJing, I guess when I went back to art school and I never actually did it professionally. Like I was, I called a basement DJ or like, um, I do people's weddings a couple of times or I did like, uh, friends passion project. friends weddings and i did once i did a nightclub once in kitchener and i was scared crapless sure it was uh the revolution nightclub so there's probably almost a thousand people i would imagine no oh. not, not that many probably like a few hundred quite a few hundred though damn um and and um all listen all listening to what you're doing yeah well the, yeah and this is a funny thing so my friend dj the back room regularly and he said the, the regular hip-hop guys in the front room they can't make it can you come play and i was like uh and normally i would have just said no because i would be afraid of anything right and that whole um self-sabotage type thing so i said yes i was super nervous the guy who hosts it thankfully was uh a guy i used to i look up to and i listen to all the time dj mastermind and he used to, i used to love his show um um that he'd have on uh, energy radio. I was just going to ask yeah. if it was on energy. I never yeah, yeah. remember energy radio. Yeah. <laughs> so I used to listen to it every, every night cause I worked night shift at the, at the Y. So I'd listen to that and play that all over the sound system. Right so he was there and he was, and then I got so nervous. He was helping going through my records and helping me pick out what to play, which was super helpful, but it was a really cool experience. But at the same time, I'm like, Oh, and I never got called back, which I'm fine with. <laughs> but since then, like, um, you know, I listen to all kinds of music, like literally from country to classical to. If you I, love music, you. I will shouldn't say I read music, but I don't normally listen to like Iron Maiden or whatever. I went to an Iron Maiden concert with some friends just to say I did it, just for shits. Um, and that was a lot of fun. But yeah, I just music's been huge. So when to get back to your question about what I have going on, it's usually like. When I'm journaling, I usually have more instrumental type stuff, so I don't have distractions because i journal almost every day is that part of the therapy no i've been doing that for years and years that was my own therapy okay that was from a that's going off on a okay. big team. Right. I, I can go there but I, I just, i'd like to i, 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 I just I, don't want i don't want to derail no no, no that's fine that's fine we could be here for four hours if you want <laughs> one, one day i will i i you know what i uh, as, a, as a side side thing i i don't want to bore people either I don't know. I see some some of the podcasts that I listen to. Some some of them they they've got five hour interviews, and you know what? I will I'll go I'll go there. I'll mm-hmm. do it. But it can it, well because it can happen sometimes just naturally. There were times where I'm like, this could keep going, but yeah. I didn't want them to like feel awkward or like I don't know. I I think I think when you start having repeat people that you've really had a good rapport with, you could mm-hmm. definitely do that. I yeah. think I, I think no doubt you and I could do four hours no problem. Yeah. I already I already know that thirty eight minutes into this <laughs> anyway. Uh, so the music is it is it is it safe to assume that as, uh, as the paper is going to the or the pen's going to the page there's probably music going on in the room. Yeah, usually I usually have music going on. All I, I have a hard time just not a hard time, but it just it's it's almost like a, it's a ritual. It's almost like a purposeful thing if there's no music. It's almost right, like a, right, right, right. I'm going to try to do this for now. It's oxygen. Bit. It's just in the it's in the ether. Or take a breath. Yeah. But normally, yeah, I have I put music on as soon as we wake up. <laughs> and Same I, man. Until until I go to bed. Same. I, I love that. We are we are kindred that way. Um, I also wonder how much that's going to shape my children's purview of life. The things that we do. Yeah. Uh, 
or what they get into, right? Yeah, yeah. I always joke, my, my poor daughter, and I've said this a couple of times, she, she sees me go to YouTube and she knows I'm going to watch cooking shows. She's like, not another cooking show. <laughs> and I know one day she'll put them on in the background because it will remind her of dad. That's yeah. my assumption. I don't know if that'll actually happen that way, but those are the Maybe. kind of things you, like I used to work with my Uncle Joe on construction sites and he listened to AM radio and I'd be like, what the fuck is this shit? But now there's this, there's the, a nostalgic charm to it. I'm like, oh, right. Uncle Joey. Yeah, I get, it, I get it. Anyway, so going back, um, and this is something worth camping on because I, it's, as far as I'm concerned, what you have in your environment while you make things is part of the process. Part of that as well is is you know how I feel when my cutting board is wiped clean and my knife is primed and sharp and it's sitting with blade edge away from me, ready to go, and I have what you call your mise en place, your everything there to get ready to prep. And you start breaking things down to their finite parts and the pan is sizzling and you're smelling the smells and, and it's, it's happening. And it's not a conscious thought, but I am in my happy place. Mm-hmm. And I do want to unpack that more and go, what is it exactly that I'm feeling? But, it, but I think it's just, it's peace mixed with purpose Mixed with gratitude, mixed mm. with the excitement of I'm making something in real time, and finally landing at the idea of when you love someone, you cook for them. Mm. That's kind of become my accidental like mantra, and I've kind of, I've learned to love the nuances of certain things, like that first slice of the onion, smashing the garlic bulb with the broad side of my knife, those moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I also know as a sketcher myself, the absolute wonder and joy of a fresh piece of paper and the tip of a pen or a pencil. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to me about what that's like when you open up that unspoken for page and you're about to build a world? What's that like for you? Uh, it, and, 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 Part B of that question, what's better, the beginning or the completion of what you're about to start? That's a, that's a big one to unpack. I'll let you start. I'd almost say midway through. Yeah, really? Because I feel like beginning can be daunting, but then at the same time, because once you, once you get it going, that's why I love using pens so much. I remember in art school, I mean, I'll try not to go too much of a tangent here, but in art school... Um, we were doing in drawing class, you always, you know, you always start doing the figure drawing and you're drawing the, the models and they're up there and you're always, you get the Conte and you know, you got to you figure out how to do lines and you're using Conte, you know, it's like a, it's like a form of pencil almost, right? Like you're, and then I remember he said, okay, now we, if you want, we can try and use ink so you can use a brush or you can use a, a pen, dip pen. And that was it for me. I never went back. I used that for the rest of school was it the permanence of ink it was the permanence of it it was the it forced you to commit to what you were doing because i'd see so many people that would just damn, take their time and, mm-hmm. and just you're unsure i'm not sure is this gonna you know and i'm like you just have to go for it okay and, that, that that we're gonna put so remind me to go back to that right there because i watch what you do on your socials and yeah. i see what you're talking about every time i see you do that Sidebar. Okay, we'll so, go back. So, and I remember, like, so you, you, every at the end of every class, I'd have a giant mess of ink on the floor because um, it would just let it, I wouldn't even care. Cause I, and, that, and that's what 
I remember he told me specifically, you're going to get a hundred bad drawings before you ever get a good one. Mm. And that just freed me. It was freedom. It was Mm. like freedom to create crap, Mm. freedom to create shitty drawings. Sorry for swearing. No, no, you're good. It says explicit on the the thing. Yeah, you're good. So I just was like, great. Now I can just mess up all I want. It doesn't matter. And then it was that realization when you buy a sketchbook it's for sketching it's for ideas it's not sure you can make it if you want every page be a perfection perfection and per finished piece if that's your thing sure because that's the beauty of it too is it can be for anything it can be for that it can be for um just recipes whatever you want but i found uh for me that was the green light to just go for it and just i love that you know and so i just from that point on, I just was a little more brave and, and a little more, um, not daring, but just a little more unconcerned about if it was screwed up or not. You got permission to discover. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's more people need that because I've taught a couple workshops, sketchbook workshops, and I remind them, like, I'm like, there's another page. I love that, man. You know, flip it. There's another one there. We can start over. And I mean... I'm sitting there thinking about my day to day. I should probably realize that goes for life too, right? There's another page. Hmm, damn, you man. Have, you have another day tomorrow, right? So tomorrow's another day. So it's like another page in the sketchbook. You have another day, fresh start, and start over and do another one. That's right? really, really, really good. Really, really um, good. But yeah. So the middle of the drawing, where you say that's that might be your favorite part, is that when you like, okay, I've got a tiger by a tail here. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm now in a world. I've got, I've caught it. I think so because yeah. well, with what I've been doing lately, because um, what I've been doing lately on Instagram with these reels is mainly um, which I love, by the way. Thank you. I just, I guess, I started having fun a because of the algorithm. Um, I don't know. It was leaning towards that. So then I thought, well, I'm. I try to draw my sketchbook as much as possible. Why don't I just film it? Yeah, and so people can see what I'm doing. I love it. And then so then it became like these ones became purposeful for a reel. Um. And then what happened was like, because it goes back to, so there's the master, I call him the master, um, my main inspiration as of late, who's sadly passed at 40 something just last year, mm. is a Korean illustrator um, named Kim Jung-gi, and uh, everybody calls him Master Gi. He is this artist who, if you just, you just go to YouTube his name and thousands of videos, there's, over the pandemic, they did a lot of live videos from their studio and um, of him drawing, live drawings, you know, recorded of him drawing. And he, he was famous for um, drawing these, he'd do huge elaborate drawings in person, um, in front of people, no reference, no anything, because his visual vocabulary was so extensive that he didn't need it um so you could draw like a a whole car engine pretty much without (laughs) thinking about or mechanical machines without thinking about looking at a like looking at a photograph of it he would just do it so that's interesting you said that perspectives in whatever so his he has a data bank of my mic just got loud a data bank what did you say he 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 had so a visual visual vocabulary visual vocabulary i've never heard that before so he he has banked just images and the the nuances of every one of so multiple things so he he's put out at least six maybe there's a bit more because i have most of them now 
um, sketchbook compilations wow. through, through Super Annie is the studio that he he was working with, um, and they're about you know I'm holding my fingers like a couple inches like 600, 700, 800 pages each at least. And it's like the first one was 2007, then 2011, 2013, I think it was 2016, 18, and then the last one was 22. And then they, he died at the end of 22, um, sadly. But uh, so those are all full of drawings. So the point is that he just drew literally every day, all the time. And so everybody's constantly asking him, like, oh, how did you get so good? How did you blah, 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 blah. And his main response was, I draw all the time. Mm. I draw. And when you saw it, for me, it was like um, learning a magician's trick. So, you know, everybody, because everybody's like, he's a savant. He's got to be a bit autistic or something. Because how can he do that? How can he remember, remember, right. remember all that stuff? You're only really good if you're on the spectrum. Right. So, yeah. A, he um, talks about it to everybody. He observes things. Mm. So, when you just see a car going by, he does, he takes a look at the car and, the shape of it and with the wheels, he tries to remember it and then tries to redraw it again. And he draws things over and over again. So that's almost like uh, when you start going through these books, you're like, Oh, that's why he can draw motorcycles in all different perspectives so easily. Cause he's drawn a billion of them. Wow. You know what I mean? So it's like, of course, of course he could sit down now and draw you people sitting at a table right. eating because yeah. he's drawn that a thousand times. So it's almost like anything. Like Tiger Woods can probably hit a hole in one or a really good shot down this street if he wanted to because he's done it a million times. Yeah. So I realized that it was like that thing where that's what drove me to draw even more because I'm like, that's the only way I'm going to... I will never get to his level, probably, but I'll only get better if I keep doing it and keep doing it because my goal was to not have to use reference because I'm not saying you, people can't use reference when they do art. That's... I still do it sometimes if I have to. Um, I'm not like, you know, yeah. I'm not his level, so I have to use it sometimes. But um, the point is to learn as much as I can so that I don't. A, because I find it's quicker, and B, I find it looks more organic. It looks There's more energy behind it. There's more personal. Because you know it intimately. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's less of like a, it's just like a stiff drawing. Right. And that's, I mean, that's a subjective opinion. You know, I'm sure, you know, other people have different opinions, but that's okay. I, I mean this genuinely, and it's not because you're sitting in front of me that I say this, but you have one of the most, um, I, I know it's you when I see your work. You have a very unique style. Now, it's unique to me. You may look at it and go, oh, it's not unique. I, I know lots of guys that look like this, but yeah. when, I, when I see your, your, your vibe, it is a vibe. It is, a, it is an aesthetic feel that is that I know it's you. And uh, one of my one of my points of pride as a musician was, and as a fan of music, was I could hear a, a guitar tone or a vibrato. Go, oh, that's so and so. That's so and so. Oh, I know that. Oh, that this production style. I, I guarantee you, this was the uh, this was mixed by so and so, and that has to be the producer. Oh, that bass. I know that's. Mm. I know that's. Uh, you know, I'm forgetting his name right now, but. Um, Lenny Kravitz has said the same thing. Is like he got to know from from reading line, the beauty of liner notes with physical albums and getting to know what certain sax players sounded like. And, mm. and uh, uh, Pino Palladino, great bass player. That's that's who it was. I I was like, yeah, I I know the sonic waveforms of these players. And there's some artists that I know, like Chuck Jones, who did the Grinch um, and did a lot of stuff for Looney Tunes. Like he's got a he's got a, he's got an aesthetic. He's got a textural vibe 
on how he does fur. I'm like, that's Chuck Jones. Jamie Hewlett from The Gorillas. Yeah. My favorite animator. I love his style. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I watch you create on the reels, um, and I think it speaks to how long you've been doing art and, and that the fact that you do know shape and form. But it blows my mind because like, you'll start at a point and then you'll start... You're, you're, you don't create with a continuous line, but it seems like you're literally creating out of nothing. I don't see any hesitation. I don't see you mapping out the, the skeletal structure of a body. Or I just see you start and you're, you're forming bodies and shapes and faces and cars out of seemingly nothing. How the hell are you doing that? Is that because you've been doing it so long that you know the structure inherently invisibly and you're just putting it over top of an invisible frame or do you have a unique style? Like you're just starting on a point and then you have a picture. Yeah. Again, I go back to uh, the master Kim Jong-gi. I mean, you'll watch him draw and that's what he does. And I just, so I watch him and I just follow not literally what he does, but I just follow how you can see how he constructs. And I'm like, Oh, that makes sense. Hmm. He, like he starts with this and this and then like he says it changes all the time but it's generally he starts with a a head or a person's face or something but it's like he knows that this is going to be in the foreground so he'll draw that next even though this part up here so you start thinking about planning it in your head how it's going to be laid out in some cases and then that's why i say the begin the middle because the beginning can be daunting as to like, how do I want to start this? How do hmm. Right. Sometimes I just know. Sometimes I just say, you know what? Okay. Close my eyes. Who, I don't close my eyes, but who cares? I'm just going to go for it. And whatever comes out. And there's, there's plenty of times I've drawn something and I have a record. I don't like it. Flip the page, start again. And, and then it's like, okay, this is going to be something I'll like, and I'll just post. So in all honesty, like there's one I did too, that was, it was still, me not using any lines, any drawing under under drawing or anything else, but I had drawn it four times in that same sketchbook until um, I got it right the way I like it, and then I went and get did it, and that's exactly what you know he would do. This guy would do. He would like you would see things. I remember there's one video specifically where he was doing like a commission piece, and you see him just waiting for everybody to get ready to start, and he's on a separate piece of paper just doodling this you know hunter is about to shoot a bit weird crazy tiger or lion or something and then they're oh, all you guys ready okay then he goes and starts and that's what he was drawing the road map but he did a different version a slightly tighter better version but that was he was drawing it out and that was almost like him going okay this is how i want this to be laid out and this is what roadmap basically yeah and so for me i just i go with like how um and that's why i feel like you know, I know I need so much work. I need to keep doing it because I know things aren't right. They're not accurate. Um, and sometimes purposefully, sometimes I just don't care. Um, but that's the beauty again of the pen too, is you just have to commit. You just have to do it and yeah. just go, okay, whatever. There's, there'll be, cause I've always said to someone, I want to have an Al Hirschfeld career. And if you don't know who he is, um, he was a cartoonist for the New Yorker. And, there's a really great, um, I forget when he died, 2009 maybe? Anyways, but there was a great YouTube video of him. I don't know if it's still up even, but 
it was him drawing it. The title, I think, is him drawing at 99. Hmm. And he's at his drawing desk or whatever. And it's kind of a funny video because he's sitting there drawing a, a portrait of like his caricature or whatever of Paul Newman. And in, in the video, occasionally, I'm guessing it's his daughter. I don't think it's his wife. But anyway, someone's coming in and, and interrupting him, trying to get him to like, we got to go. We're going to this thing. But he's so concentrated on this, on this, um, this drawing. And what I think is hilarious is that his line work is like so tight, even at 99. And so not precise, but just amazing. And I know he wasn't doing, he wasn't doing commission jobs at that age, but the point was that he was able to draw till he was 99. And so what I thought about going back to what my professor said about the bad drawings, that's why I've never been precious about my actual client work too. Cause I know, I remember people would get hung up on, it's gotta be this, my idea or um, the colors are off or whatever. And I'm like, it's a, it's a drawing. Let's move on to the next one. It's, that's interesting because it, it, it seems, I don't know a lot of creatives that aren't hypercritical. It seems to me that you have a good grasp of freedom and discipline, which I think is kind of an anomaly. Uh, you pursue mm-hmm. and you're a student and you're diligent, but you have kind of like a laissez-faire approach in the best way. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't want to sound demeaning at all by saying that. I, no, no. I, I think that's a healthy thing, and I don't. I haven't come yeah. across that a ton. Well, that's how my style, I think, came about in school. Because I remember, the one uh, um, instructor, he said this. This style, it is lucky that he's doing it on purpose because it could look lazy. Mm. But it was kind of that too because I just I remember I saw people I remember I got a C on on my we had to draw a burlap we had an object drawing class so the entire semester was just drawing objects and it, we had the one assignment we had to draw it was a burlap sack mailbag on a on a stump whatever on a platform lit lit up a certain way so you'd have to get all the shading proper whatever well I didn't care I knew what I was doing enough to so I got a C on that. And there's people that would spend hours and right. hours and hours to make it look so amazing and maybe to get A pluses or whatever. And I'm like, no, thanks. I know how to draw it. Thanks. I, this tells me how to draw it. And I know I, I get a sense of the light, you know, next. Let's go on to the next. So you wanted to get, you wanted to understand and grasp the meat and potatoes of it. Yeah. That would allow you to be able to kind of build on that. Exactly. Because I, I definitely use everything I learned in gotcha. that class, even to today. Like I use all the, I remember, um, uh, graph design class. The one thing I is is alignment and also um, triangulation, and you know the power of threes, whatever. Make things, and then my other teacher said, um, "It's okay to have a busy looking image, but give somewhere some for people to rest." Oh damn! You know, and I was like, "Oh, that makes sense." And You're blowing my mind right now, man. You get such great quotes. Oh, I had I was lucky. I had amazing teachers. Yeah, that. that um, That's a huge takeaway for me in this talk is, is the amount of really great mentorship and peer peership that you had people speaking into your life, maybe not even realizing they were, but like those are, these are like walking words. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I try to take it from it wherever I can. Um, and if it, if it resonates, I just, I just really try and hold on to it. And that, and they had a few of them like the, that guy, he said to me another thing, he said, um, uh, he said, uh, you know, work fast and then, pause and slow down and then go slow again or whatever like in other words get the idea out quick 
and then slow down right. and, and digest it and, and then work with it. But don't, don't worry about, you know, I don't know. It was, it was really neat, but yeah, I don't know. You seem like someone, you don't seem like someone, you are someone that has a, um, a wellspring of memory and experience and quotes and downloads of great people that have gone ahead of you. I sense that you're someone who has stood on the shoulder of giants and you've been able to see a really good view. Um, do you have any interest in distilling that and downloading it to the next generation uh, in a more, in a more consistent, regular way? Yeah. I just don't know how I would. Cause I, I, it's funny. I, I went back to share and they asked me to teach an editorial class. And I, again, cause I'm nervous about, um, talking in front of people. I get nervous. I get nervous about, um, like again, that immediate, like, Oh, I'm there's way better qualified teachers than me. Can I just stop yeah. you right there? I'm going to tell you right now that you're going to, there will be people who, who listen to this on parts of the globe that will be inspired by what you said. I'm inspired by what you say, whatever you're about to tell me, <laughs> I have to tell you this. I think it would be a great disservice to not give out what you've got because I've been with you for an hour and one minute and I'm inspired by what, by what you're telling me. Like, I think, I think what you do is, is a wonderful thing. I think it would be a crime for people to not hear the words come out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. There's something there for you, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really want you to know that because there's, it, you have good stories and, and, and it's so much more art deserves more than just the mathematics. Mm. This generation coming up and people who are peers, they need to be inspired and go, oh, damn, I'll never forget that thing yeah. he told me. Because your whole story is anchored by those moments. And so, like, mm-hmm. I want people that you haven't met yet to have those moments with you. Right. So there's that. Is that okay to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's it's funny because I've, I... I I've always, ever since that one breakup, <laughs> it was we're going, honestly we're going deep. Yeah, I had I had this breakup where it was I was in my twenties and we were together on and off for like four years, and she broke up with me after two years or something, and she's like, "I'm we're done," blah blah blah, and she was super into self help, journaling, um, reading like um, these Neil Donald Walsh books, Conversations with God, and. All, right. all these other, you know, Gary Zukov and all these, you know, back then Deepak Chopra, spiritual being, yeah, very spiritual stuff and whatever. And and I was like, oh, whatever, you know, roll my eyes. And then when she broke up with me, I was just like devastated. I was like, oh, she's not going to talk to me again. And then I made a decision. Then I was like, even then in my twenties, I was like, okay, well, I have a choice. I can either um, just move on be the regular, regular Joe and go find another lady or whatever and yeah. whatever, or I can try and better myself. And so in, in spite of her, which was great, I was like, well, screw her. I'll show her. I'll be that spiritual, well put together person. And so I started journaling and doing all these things and reading a lot of these books she recommended. And then it just started like I devoured them. And I was just, 
it was like, oh my God. And I became like this almost like super hippie and super confident. And I was like, yeah, the world is awesome. And hmm. everybody's amazing. And you know, it's sort of like that. And then over the years, and then when I was in art school, I did the same though. I, I would read like business books or advertising books. And I remember specifically this one awesome book called Road Trip Nation. And uh, it's these two guys. They essentially converted an RV. They like fixed it up or whatever enough to, to beat up one. They didn't get, they were going to, the, I think the deal was they got a book deal and they were going to get this like brand new RV, but then they decided to get a used one. Anyways, the, the point is they traveled around the United States on a road trip and they would go to meet up with whoever they were going to interview next. And they would interview um, just people like the head of Nike or something like, um, what's his name? Phil, is it Phil Jordan? No. What's no, it, Phil Knight? No, I don't know. Maybe it was him. I don't know. But anyways, it was this other guy. It was a head guy at, at Nike. And then like they did, uh, what's his name? Howard Schultz. Uh, Starbucks guy, and they did Michael Dell, um, Xander, Xander something. He's a he's a um, what do you call the guy? The orchestra guy, composer, compose. Uh, no, the guy that. Com- oh, not composer. Uh, oh God, maestro? No, is it compo- <laughs> It's a composer, isn't it? I don't know the pe- person who, who with the baton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, anyways, that guy, conductor, conductor. Yes, there we go. he's a conductor. We, we got that. and uh, a very famous one. And it was just, it's just chock full of like, you know, we did this, like cool. a no is not a, a, a wall, it's a bump in the road. It's those kinds of things. And Xander, the con- conductor, he's got a great U- um, TED talk, is it a TED talk or a YouTube video of him demonstrating how you can see when someone gets that inspiration mm-hmm. through piano lessons or whatever. Yeah. And he says, it starts off like this eventually, but by the time they get, they get onto one cheek and then they're onto the one ha, cheek thing ha, ha, ha. and they let it. And then it turns in like this and it sounds like, and it's yeah, so, can, and he says that whatever, which really resonated was he said, uh, um, so what he does with his students is he looks at them and he looks in their eyes and he looks for that spark right. or the sparkle. And he says, if it's not there, he goes, what am I not doing right. that you don't have that spark in your eye? Mm. And I thought about that over in years later. That's when I feel frustrated with myself as a dad, because then I feel like, why am I not? I, I look for that in my kids. And then I go, what am I not doing right that that's not there? Oh, dude, that's you know? a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. We'll no, go. no, no. And I mean, I, I, go, I can go on. I, I'm, no, no. But I'm, the reason why I'm saying that like that is because I've, I've actually been going through that since school got out. I've, I've felt like such a schlep because they're at the age where you can't just give them a bucket of toys and they're happy. They, they need more. And yeah. I'm like learning about very toxic, uh, lazy traits of, of me deferring to other things so that I don't have to engage as much as they want me to. And I'm like, this is horrible. These are, these are serious shortcomings. I need, I need to fight to be present more. Yeah. Like I'm a, I know I'm a good dad. I, my children are everything, Yeah. but it's those, it's that eighth time around where they need something from me. We're like, okay, let's just watch bluey for a little bit. See, that's the problem with bluey though. <laughs> bluey is an awesome show, but the and dad, that, that, that's the only one that I'll actually let our two year old watch. Yeah. My wife doesn't like that so much, but, um, but the problem is that, yeah, the dad, the dad does everything. Uh, and then, yeah. so he, he gives them an unrealistic expectation of what the parents will do. I'm I mean, not the blue dog dad guy. Yeah. And, and I had to say, I got to make dinner. I have a job. He yeah. doesn't have a, He doesn't have a job. <laughs> so only dads would be having this conversation right now. Uh, Anyways. yes, no, no. It's like when you're having an argument with somebody or you're trying to 
win someone to your side to, to see your, your point of view and you, you, you catch that glint in their face and you realize you have them. It's, yeah. that, it's that moment where there's that crossover. So going back to the me teaching, yeah, um, it's funny you say that because I know for sure like all these Road Trip Nation, all these books, all these things, these nuggets of wisdom. No, that the thought occurred to me that especially after school, it was like I learned so much from these guys. Yeah. I want to be able to do that for another group of people. 100%. For sure that came to mind. And I remember when I got to teach, it was funny. I was really nervous about it. I didn't know, what am I going to teach? What am I gonna actually going to stand out there and tell them? And then they hired me. I realized they hired me because I do editorial illustration. And it's an editorial illustration class. So duh, like just teach them what I know. And then it was hilarious. I don't know if I got called back just because it wasn't another editorial class or what, but I thought maybe it might've been because I was telling them all to ignore what their teachers were saying or not really. I said, I said, um, they would say, well, our teachers say like, what do you do about, it just became a Q and a every episode, every class became a Q and a like, well, what do you think about um, promoting yourself or how do you promote yourself or whatever? Our teachers say, don't do this or our teachers don't like manga or whatever. And I'm like, well, whatever if you love manga do manga if you love doing character design do that whatever figure out what you want to do and just do it or with promoting i was like listen to everything that your teachers tell you and don't listen to anything they tell you just take whatever works again going back to that take whatever works yep. and filter it out and that's the whole point of college or all yeah. of that it's not for you to determine whether they're right or wrong it's for you to listen and absorb and then move on and then as you're moving on in your life decide what resonates with you what doesn't that's that's a position you're you're taking a position of an equalizer though which which is why i think it's so important that people like you have a have a platform because there's such polarizing hard-line perspectives in in the post-secondary school when when kids are so um, influenced highly Mm -hmm. influenced right so they they want to receive and i think there's there's a lot of gravity to the options of what and how and where they're receiving. They need to have mm-hmm. an equalizing voice like, like you seem to have where it's like, yeah, I, I respect these different paradigms and these different positions, but also yeah. there's a trash can that you have freedom to use and, yeah. and a pot to plant with as well. I think people need to know that there's a third option, which I think is why you're yeah. important is because you have, you you seem to be firmly rooted in both discipline and the ability to go. Yeah, but I'm going to throw that out with that. I wonder if it's too because I'm also uh, pretty transparent about the fact that I'm a work in progress, like everybody yeah. else. But that's I think that's what I really I'm appreciating with our time together is that um, despite what you may think of yourself, you you are very um, generous with what's going on inside you. Yeah. And honestly, man, like. What I've found with these podcasts, um, 65 episodes in, is that when you people start getting honest, that's when, that's when people come with you. The, mm-hmm. the, pod, the podcast thing is so magical, and, it's, mm-hmm. and the reason why it's clobbering all other forms of media is because this is the first time in probably 50 years where people are getting the unvarnished human take on life. The, the don't say this, do, yeah. do yeah, yeah, like the... Yeah. But I mean, I, I don't want to put you in the hot seat, I just... I'm I'm really enjoying hearing you talk, and there's a calming authority to what you are saying and how you say it. I 
I don't know, man. And there's time. Like there's, you got, you're good. You still got good years ahead of you to, to be that guy. But I would, I would strongly and lovingly encourage you that you would, um, you would never have that possibility too far down your, your, your rucksack. I think that should be something that you seriously consider because there's mm-hmm. the next generation is all about like, mm-hmm. what are we going to give them? Some, yeah. Some there, I think. Yeah. I guess I just figure out how that giving my unsolicited advice here. I, I, I appreciate it. I mean, like <clears throat> I, I look at this as free therapy, really. <laughs> you know, mean, people said, people have said that. I'm like, man, yeah. that's great. I love that. I mean, but as I don't know why I'm so transparent. Sometimes, yeah, you know, people at TMI, I don't know. I just, cause I kind of don't care. Not in a negative way. Like I don't, I don't know if there's a better term to use than I don't care. It's just, um, there's really nothing to lose by saying stuff like I, and, and I don't know, like I'm not, I know I, I could never say anything that would, you know, make someone not like me sort of thing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I, and I guess that came out of years of work too, where it was just, um, it's funny. I would rather, I would spill anything and say anything to any stranger over sometimes over people I know, because they're just, they'll listen, you know, they'll just, in some cases, in some cases they have opinions. I would say that um, nine times out of eight times out of 10, that always works in your favor though. The, the quickest way to make a stranger a friend is to just get real. Yeah. For sure. And I, at 45 years, I, I do know that that is the truth. Mm-hmm. That has been my truth with being a barista, a chef. Sure, yeah. Musician. Like, um, this podcast thing, I've been, I've been, it's been leading to this platform my whole life. Mm. I've been talking for a living. It's right. like, and, yeah, yeah. And, and my time in Toronto really, um, more to your point of what you're talking about being honest with strangers was, I've said this a couple of times that the analogy of Toronto, Toronto was so good to me and I, and I grew immensely there and I took a break from food and I actually became a better chef by just watching and seeing food, not even working in kitchens, just eating in Toronto sidebar. Toronto was a, is in my, at my time, it was one big high school hallway. Mm. Everybody was just trying to like survive and look hard and look cool and, and confident and, you know, busy and, and once you start talking to them, yeah. and by the time you've, you've served them their third Americano in those two weeks, and when you have them, it's like, oh, there you are. You're just a guy yeah. trying to make it and find people and find yeah. your people. And I realized it was just like the only way to crack someone is to just be real and, and honest and be interested, yeah. in, be interested in them. Yeah. Uh, what, what was it? Uh, a quote someone said, they said the, the, the most interesting person in the room is the most interested. Dude, yeah. <laughs> you, you're just killing me with these great quotes. 100%. That said, my biggest thing I've had to work on in the many, many years is listening, shutting up and listening. Mm. Um, because sure, I have maybe value. You could get value for something I say, but um, my friend used to make a lot of, uh, he used to do a really good impression of me from when we were younger. And I guess I have a habit of meandering when I walk. Okay. And so he would just meander like this, go anyways. Okay. About me anyways. So about me anyways, right back to me anyways. And, and it's funny cause I remember what hit me was, I don't know if I wouldn't call it a rock bottom, but I was with, um, I went and visited a friend 
and I remember I came back. My wife's like, "Oh, how are they? What are they? What's new? What are they up to?" And I was like, Shh, "I don't know." Oof. I'm like, "I don't. I didn't ask him. I just talked about me." Oof. And I realized, and so from that point on, I, I mean, I, I know you're asking a lot of questions, but I, I made it a point to just really, I have to consciously like, I have, I had to do this for years. I got a lot better with, with it, but with my wife where I would sometimes not hear what she's saying because mm. I'm consciously saying to myself in my head, okay, just shut up and right. listen. Oh, don't, man. don't say anything. Don't fix the problem. Wow. And I'm saying that in my head so that I don't do it because I would have a habit of just start talking. Your inner dialogue's drowning her out. Yeah. And so I, I, I've been, you know, the other thing over the pandemic I've learned too, oops, sorry, it was um, I'm just learning that I don't know shit <laughs> and that I'm, I, I'm trying my best to not have any opinion about anything that I don't know anything about. Um, because I find that's part of our problem these days too, is too many people are just like, I don't know, reacting to things that they don't know anything about or yep. immediately reacting to whatever this, that, and I did a lot of that at the beginning of the pandemic, especially. And I was like, Oh, right. and, uh, and then over time I just relaxed more and I was just like, wait a minute, I, let me look that up. Let me figure that out. Is that really happening? I don't know. And then do I really need to comment on who gives it? Are they going to give a shit about my comment on that? Like, come on, not really. Who cares what I think about it? But it feels good to spout sometimes though. Yeah, sometimes, but then it, I just find it, it's pointless. Like it's better to just, uh, make stuff. I have, yeah, I love that. It's, it's sometimes it's better to make stuff. That's that. Maybe that'll be the title of the episode. I, I, I have this habit of posting an angry post and then immediately deleting it, but I just have to get it out of my system. And like, yeah, yeah, I don't like the way that feels. I've done that. I don't like the way it feels and it's screwing up my feed. I don't like the way it's. I did one. I did. I did one where I saved it. Just (laughs) like as if I'm going to later. You archived it. it, Yeah. Yeah. I'll post it now. It has no relevance now. Well, going back to what you were saying when, again, I'm not saying this because you said it. I, I, I took note of this. You're very still when I'm speaking. I feel like you're, you're hearing me. You're listening to me. And, and I do know when someone's waiting for their turn to speak, and I don't get that from you. So job well done. I mean, the, it, it is working. <laughs> I, I, I was just thinking while you were also talking about the, the work you've been putting into yourself. Um, so just as a, as a quick rant, I, I went to a conference and I saw a gentleman speak who was in his, his, his 80s, and he was very young for his, for his numeric age. And he, he, was, he ran the Marriott Hotels, and then he... Ended up running uh, the Walt Disney Parks. He was responsible for 300 staff. And he had lived so much life and had learned so many things that, that every word coming out of his mouth was a bomb. It was like, boom, boom, truth, truth, mm-hmm. experience, experience. I was like, oh, my God. It was the first time I looked at an 80-year-old man and went, I want to be him. <laughs> but I was thinking, I was thinking and I, I, while you were talking, I'm like, I wonder what I, what I get a kick out of more. Uh, a man... In the middle of his life, in hot pursuit of betterment, or a man on the other side of life who is talking from lessons learned. I don't know. They're both very precious. I'm enjoying watching you fight for center and to find you. It's, it's really refreshing and really encouraging and freeing, and it makes for a safe conversation. And, and, and I don't know, they're, they're of equal value, I think. I don't know, a man trying to find his way home, and then a man talking about the home he built. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. And because I wonder if the second one, 
the man that's found or that's built the home, mm-hmm. I wonder if he's more so the, uh, that's the letting go of the ego. Right. That's the, um, I'm cool. Shit doesn't I'm, matter anymore. It's like, no. yeah, you learn that there's it's, this. It's Rick Rubin, really. <laughs> oh, dude. You know I, mean? I love Re- that you said that. Really, it's him. Like when, when, when people, I love when people, this is what I want to be. I want to get to in life, especially with this, our age of social media. I want to be that guy where they say, oh, yeah, yeah, did you, uh, do you ever see that, uh, do you ever hear about that uh, dude or see that show? And they'd be like, who? Right. The what? No, never heard of it. Because like, that's what he's like. And he's like this thing where, oh, I never heard of it. Tell me. He, I, I listened to his recent episode with Chris Chelios, the hockey player. I'm not a big hockey guy. Um, Rick Rubin interviewed Chris Chelios? Yeah. What, what, what his show is this on? So what? he's got a new, oh, he's got a fame. I mean, this is a great podcast too. It's a podcast. It was awesome. But he's got a brand new podcast called uh, Tetragrammaton. Okay. And it's, it's, as, it's amazing because it's, it, when you listen to it, it's as Rick Rubin as you could get. So <laughs> it's like this really cool 60s-ish kind of sounding music that leads into the talk. And he's, awesome. just, and he's just interviewing now everybody, anybody he wants to. So yeah. it's not about music anymore. Right. It's about any, it can be about music, but... Um, and then the, the ads are amazing. So when he does the ads, instead of him doing it, he's got like a, perf- it sounds like a ad from the forties, but it's like, oh, it's actually no for some macadamia nuts or something that he loves like cold plunges or something. So he's taking you on a journey in every oh, aspect of it. May, yeah. You can tell how creative it is. And <laughs> what I love about it is that he is just, he is literally like, he acts like a sponge. Like I just want to absorb. I want to hear about your experience. He acts like, cause he doesn't know anything about hockey. So he's like, tell me, like I'm a kindergarten kid. I love it. Tell me about hockey. What is the rules? What are the, and then so you're listening and thinking, dude, you know fucking rules about hockey? Like it's, I don't. Any, right, but yeah. you just assume like, don't you know? And then as he's telling him and, and he's absorbing all this, it's like, oh yeah. And then I just love how he just, he, he, that innocence of like youth again, where you're just like, that's a superpower. It is, and I'm so that's a goal I think to strive yeah. for, where you can just let go. You have you have a Ruben vibe where where there's uh, you know we're still young enough to say that we still we haven't released our ego yet, but I can tell that it's on its way. Uh, why I love the fact that you mentioned Rick Rubin was that I've been I've been chomping on this soundbite that I heard about. Where everyone looks at this guy who's lost, you know, he shed the 80 pounds, he's always barefoot, he's always, you know, with his beard, sitting cross-legged on his leather chair, and he's just got this zen thing, and I'd love to work with him. But that's the guy that has built the house. The guys, Beastie Boys, mm-hmm. are like, yeah, everyone's got this, like, idea of Rick Rubin, but the Rick Rubin we worked with at the early days of Def Jam, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not that guy at all. And yeah, it's, it's, he drank a lot. He did. I, I love that you referenced him as this, like, what we know of him today that's been galvanized mm-hmm. but there was a time when he was not and then oh. i guess that's the pursuit right is to, is to is to land to be in that guy yeah i want to be the uh the the old guy sitting in the coffee shop with the other old guys and that's what they do every day you see them in there every day yeah that's their meeting point every morning they go meet up with their bros or whatever their pals I just sit there and that's for the. <laughs> I say to my wife, I'm like, listen, I, I, I'm not in any rush to get old. And no. I don't want to be grandpa. But I do know that when I become a grandpa, I'm going to be really good at it. Yeah, I'm going to be really good at being an old guy. Just because I, I want to share and talk and like, you know, uh, I don't know. It's so funny. 
I worry that I'm going to be like my grandpa and be a curmudgeon. Yeah, you think so? I don't know. Maybe I won't. I, it's just that thing where you worry about, oh, I'm going to be like them. I'm going to be like him. I mean, I mean, that's why I miss my dad, because I know he would have been a great grandpa. Mm. You know, that's, and it's funny, because that's the only times I really get sad about him being gone. Is missing out on. Is when something goes on with our kids, and they're like, oh, he would have loved that. Oh, he yeah, would have. Yeah. I, I wish he was there to see that, or I wish I could have called him and said, hey, dad, guess what? Right. So-and-so, blah, 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 blah. I, uh, but, I, um. My, my my grandmother, my grandma Jessie, we've, I've talked about her a bunch of times. I, I always lament the fact that she didn't get a chance to get a, a kick out of spending time with my wife yeah. or that how much she would lose her mind over my yeah. children, Sam and Layla. I just know that she would, you know. Um, the dad thing, I one of my managers that worked with me here, he actually opened St. James with me, very close friend of mine. and His father passed away, like, Suddenly, mm-hmm. his father was a vivacious, he was just a, a, a heart with limbs. He was a, a loving man. Yeah. And um, I did a special one weekend and I called it the Uncle Buck. And it was like this like ridiculous bur- burger. I was trying to one up the burger thing. I was like, it's got this on it and yada, yada, yada. And uh, one of their favorite movies was Uncle Buck. And I watched him start to text his father who had died two mm. weeks earlier. And then the realization that his father oh, was not there. Yeah. And I watched, you know, and then he started you know, watching the tears. Yeah. Going, oh yeah, my of course. God. Oh my right. God. But that's, that's a really, really raw dramatic version of what you're talking about. But it's that, yeah. that realization that God, if they were, if you could have just shared this thing with them. I feel so bad. For, I remember that's the, See, this is another thing I got to work on in life is remembering names. Mm. So the podcast you played with the woman about loss. Oh, Annie Horton. Annie Horton. Yeah. So Annie's, you know, talk about her dad. Yeah. And then him. Like, I I am so grateful for my experience with my dad's passing because I actually wanted to talk. It's funny. I I made it a, a pitch to the Moth podcast because... I wanted that to be to stretch out of my comfort zone. So if they ever let me say it on or help work with me and say it on stage somewhere, because I guess I was hoping that when you talk about inspiring, I was hoping that um, it could comfort people in some way that lose someone because I had a beautiful experience. I was fortunate because I know not everybody gets that chance. My brother-in-law lost his mom. I think it was 2016 maybe. um, And he lost her tragically. And it was a sudden thing and whatever, where my dad had cancer, Mm. diagnosed in March, died in October and did the chemo, did all kinds of stuff. But we had time with him during that that time. And in that, I don't know if it's the same year, maybe it was the same year, earlier that year, maybe, or maybe the year before, maybe it was earlier that year. My friend, that one who I was, that breakup one, she remained a friend. Um, her mom passed and I, I was with her in her mom's hospital room watching. That was the first time I ever saw someone take their last breath. Oh, so wow. I was there when that happened. So I kind of had a sense of when someone's declining and they die. And I mean, that's one person, right? So it's not like I'm an expert. Right. But so then when it got closer to my dad passing and the, the, everything they were telling me. So he lived in Vermont at the time. We were up here and uh, we were living in Guelph. And um, he, my sister, my older sister was already down there. And, and so we were at a wedding. So the, I'll, I'll try and 
make the story quick, but we were, um, we were at a wedding. It was October 9th. We were at uh, Jess's cousin's wedding. We were in between the reception and the, the, you know, the main ceremony, mm-hmm. killing time. And my sister calls me and she says, you should probably come down to, or when do you guys plan on coming down? We said, we're coming down on Monday, I think. This is a Saturday. And she said, well, I think you guys should probably come down sooner. Dad's not looking so good. Right. So at that time they had, he didn't want to do hospice. He wanted to die at home. So they were able to manage to have um, a hospital bed put into the dining room. And he was able to be there at home and he had care, you know, care coming in. And so my older sister was already down there. So she called my um, younger sister and said, you guys got to get down here now. So my younger sister packed up her one kid and her husband found babysitting for the other kid. And they, her uncle hopped her on a plane as fast as possible and they got down there. So we said, okay, well, we'll just come down, you know, tomorrow after the wedding, whatever. And then so she calls me back and says, I think you should come today. And she said, dad wants to talk to you. So it was my last conversation. So oh, I wow. get on the phone and he sounded really awful. Like clearly, mm-hmm. you know, and I said, uh, hi dad, you know, how you doing? And he said, hi son. You know, and he said, you don't sound so good. And he goes, I think I'm checking out son. Oh, and I said, okay. I see, I'm like, okay, dad. And I knew a little bit of things I've read about death and stuff. And I said, okay, you know, you could do what you got to do. Give them permission. Go, mm-hmm. you know, don't wait for us. Is that hard? It's a stupid question. Of course no, it was but hard. You know, but it's funny at the moment it wasn't like, it just felt like that's what I had to do. Okay. You know, I say, go, go yeah. dad. Yeah. And I said, you don't have to wait for us. He said, I can do that. You know, I'm like, wow. okay. And I'm like, but you don't have to, it's a nine hour drive. And, uh, and then he, you know, he gets uncomfortable. So you see the Leafs game. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't watch hockey. I'm like, no, dad. And then he said, you know, you've been a great son. I said, you've oh. been an awesome dad. And then I said goodbye. And obviously, like, bald. My, my wife drives. So we quickly got on the horn, got people, lined things lined up to watch our cats. And we just threw clothes in the car and beelined it down there. And it's crazy because, like, so we're driving as fast as we can in her 99 Honda Civic. We didn't realize it at the time, but somehow near Kingston, so four hours into the trip or so, we blew a valve in the engine. So we're driving on a three-cylinder instead of a four-cylinder. So it's like... Right. So we get to the border. I'm nervous it's going to stall on us. And I'm just like, oh, the guard The guard looks, takes one look at us, our passports, and says, where are you going? And I said, South Burlington, Vermont, say goodbye to my dad because he's dying. And he just passed us our passport and said, have a nice night. See you later. And, you know, he's like go ahead Mm -hmm. so it's late at night at this point we're driving through upstate new york i don't know what was going on but some kind of like you know random teenagers in the middle of the road almost like they're playing chicken so i almost hit some kid because he's like (laughs) so i'm like that happened we get in upstate vermont a deer runs across the road and i like look at my wife i'm like are you kidding me we get towards my dad's a skunk runs across the road and i'm like what the so we find frogger right so we finally pull in front of the house thankfully we're there done we get in the house he's still alive um but he's on like responsive so i never we never talked to him again at that point but he's alive he's breathing on his own and it's the next day and for me what was great was like the whole family was there all like my stepmom my two sisters were there my wife the um we didn't have kids at the time all of his like my wife's family or my stepmom's family so there was so much family there so much love throughout the right. entire day and 
my stepmom always jokes that he chose 920 at night. It was when 920 when he took his last breath. And so I was on his one side and my two sisters were there. My stepmom were in the room when we, we got to do that, the four of us. And it was so beautiful. Wow. And I mean, it was alarming at first because um, we weren't ready for it. But and then when it happened, so then she calls the, you know, the um, someone called the um, funeral home and they come in a it's just a regular SUV, so it's nice and discreet. She jokes that he knew to go late at night because he wouldn't want the neighbors to be nosy. And uh, and then so what I did was um, it was with my um, stepmom's um, sister-in-law suggested that what she did with her dad, um, which was like a ritual type thing where we wash him. So we got washcloths and we washed his body. Wow. And so because my, my stepmom wanted to change him out of that outfit and she, cause she wanted to keep it because that was his favorite outfit or whatever. She wanted to keep that stuff. So she we would just change him in something nice and more, more presentable. Um, and then when the, they arrived, um, we put him, we, I helped them cause he was still, he was like a big dude. He was like 220 pounds or so, or no, maybe like 200 pounds at that time. Cause he lost a ton of weight. He was almost 300 pounds and lost tons of weight from the chemo. Yeah. And sadly, like looked, healthy yeah <laughs> but like, not weird most people yeah. go the other way he actually ended up yeah. looking yeah gotcha um but so he because um, he had enough to lose which is great good in that sense but anyways he um i helped him put him in the body bag and zip it i zipped it up and it was more so because again i don't know like it was definitely all of that was sad and hard and i was crying like crazy like harder than i've ever done on the when we saw him go in the in the minivan and they or whatever the truck and they drove away but it was more so because I just felt like it was the least I could do for everything he's done for me. Oof. You know? The beautiful ritual of dressing him. Yeah. Uh, dressing down. That, that is, that's precious. But what his death did for me, which I, that leads to the later on in the week in the funeral, was I discovered um, success for me. Like, of course, I want to get, I always said I want to be really rich so that I can, you know, help my mom have a lovely life because of all she did for me growing up Um, and help my sisters and just help people. But um, of course, so I want financial wealth. Of course I would love that. Who wouldn't? Um, But after my dad's death and his funeral, it was more so I realized respect is what is my definition of success. If I could die with the amount of respect he had. So he was a retired, um, he retired from working for U.S. Airways, and he did all kinds of jobs for them. So at the time when he passed, he had been working part-time, or full-time or part-time, it doesn't matter, um, as a police dispatcher. After he retired, he got bored of fishing every day and hmm. went to the grocery store every day. And he, um, and he became a police dispatcher, which was a thrilling for him because he always wanted to be a police officer, but he couldn't because he's colorblind. And um, so he's part of the he's part of the team. Even That's though he's a civilian, right? He's still part of the team in his mind. You know, talking to the boys and going fishing with them, and so he, was, love he loved it. Um, but what I didn't realize is how much they loved him. Like mm. there was flowers and people came from his, the grocery store he went to every day. Wow, you know that's and, a legacy right there, right? And then, so then we get there, and and he, I guess the police chief asked him before he passed. He said, "What do you want?" to have done for your funeral. And he said, no, you don't, don't do anything for me. Don't worry about it. He said, the only thing I would love is if you could do the honor guard. So oh, man. The police chief said to my, my stepmom, whatever you guys want, we, we got it. Well, you don't worry. 
So we get there thinking just, you know, we're there. The whole entire week leading up to the funeral was amazing. Dinners at, at different family members' houses. Lots of fun stories about him. Lots of laughs, thankfully. Um, and then the, the visitation was on the Friday. And we get into the funeral home. And there's two officers, one on each side of his casket with the white gloves, standing at attention. And then they would, every 20 minutes, they would, two more would come in, do this whole deal, salute, like this. And I was like, looking at my sisters, and I'm like, that's our dad, right? It's just our wow. dad. Like, I always knew he was a nice guy. You know, wow. he was always a good guy. But I was like, really? All this for him? Wow. And then, and then um, the next day at the funeral, we start at the funeral home, and they do processions like any other place. And if you've ever been in one, sometimes you'll oddly, you know, the odd time you'll see a police um, escort, like motorcycle escort the procession, try and, you know, help it go smoothly. Yeah. So we had that too. But we also had, um, I think it was a police car <clears throat> and then a fire truck because he did a little dispatch for the fire department, the local fire department for a bit. And then the hearse and then my stepmom and then us and a, another limo and a bunch of other people. And we're driving along, and the, the plan was to go from the funeral home, go past the church, and then go past his, his cozy home, just do like a little drive-by and a little burp, burp, right. you know, like a little see, see a goodbye, like park the hearse in front sort of so he could say goodbye to his home. So we're driving along, and we get to this one part of the road where there's like the on-ramp from the highway. Well, if they're not a police officer, park there to block those guys so they can't get on like off the on-ramp you know what i mean so they can't block our path he's standing out front of his car saluting oh my god a t-shirt in october saluting the hearse as we're going by and i was just like what the and then we get to the to the funeral home and there's 40 police officers in uniform and 25 firefighters in uniform and and there was police officers were the pallbearers and they did the whole 21 gun you know, whatever. Are you kidding me? Right. And I'm like, he was a civilian, right? He wasn't an actual police officer. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was just so blown away. So for me, it was like, what that a testament level of, yeah, that level of respect that people had for him. I'm like, if I can get that even close to that when I die, wow. you know, and, and that was echoed in when his dad, my, my grandpa, when he passed four years after that, something like that, Ironically, he was a retired funeral director. And we talked to the people at the funeral home where he worked and retired from and where the funeral was, naturally, in Mississauga. And the amount of respect they had for him that they said, like, you know, he um, was super hard on everybody, but he was amazing with every single family in here and he did his job so well and he set a gold standard for embalming at that place and all this stuff that he did. And all, like, I was just like, what? The same guy that says so many racist things <laughs> that you should, the same grandpa that was grumpy as everything with us. Oh, okay. And then, so I was like, wow. Okay. That's yeah. So that's my goal for wow. achievement in life eventually. But how amazing is it that even uh, on the last day of your father's body being on this earth, well, not the last day of his body on earth, but, in his in his death, mm-hmm. his final act was to ultimately blow your mind on his way out. <laughs> right, like that's what a legacy. Yeah, wow, man. My grandpa was talking shop with the guy in the front of the limo driving the limo, saying, "Oh yeah, like we guys, what kind of hearse do you use?" Right. 
that kind of thing. And he's like, have you ever seen anything like this? And the guy's like, I've done military funerals and I've never seen them wow. this, this, you know, big or go with this big before it. So he buried his son. He yeah, watched. Yeah. Oh, wow. And his mom passed six days before. Wow. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm noticing this trend with this podcast. Um, it's almost starting to not matter who I bring on in terms of the subject. Um, what I'm loving to see happen is just a human conversation that, mm. that veers strong, strongly away from why I brought you on, that we just start sharing the human condition together. I, I love that. Like, like yeah. I, I, how, we, how we got here, I don't know, but I love that we did. That's, that's incredible. I think that's why I like listening to podcasts because yeah. it's, it's not the ones that are good are the ones that are like that, that aren't like, and you were born here right, and you right. did, you know, like, it's gotta be organic. Gotta yeah. Be and they just like, you know, sorry for whoever hates them, but for like Joe Rogan's, a lot of his, they're just, they're just having conversations. Sometimes they're not even about anything. They're just about whatever topic yeah. they're talking about. Isn't it like, amazing how suddenly he became a polarizing character literally overnight in the last three years? Yeah. <laughs> now people are apologizing at prefacing things ahead of time before they even say his name. And they, yeah. that's how inflammatory it's become. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. Um, going back to the, the legacy thing. Um, you know, have, are, are the, are your kids? So I see in my son, Sam specifically, he's a chip off the old block in the sense that he, um, he really does love taking care of people. He, he is a service guy. He's a, he's a, he's a servant. He has knife skills. He's six years old and I'm not being the proud dad. He actually can handle the knife. Like he's, he knows his way around things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that my children are going to have strong core memories of dad being in the kitchen. Mm. I do know that they see dad always playing guitar. That I have recordings that they, they can hear me breathing on the track. Like those, those things that are in place for them. Mm-hmm. I'm, that's not lost on me. And I really want and, and pray and hope that I can overwhelm their senses with memory. Mm. Are you seeing anything? Well, of course you are. It's inevitable, but how cognizant are you of shaping um, those legacy moments for your children in terms of dad being an artist, dad being a dad? Like, how um, much how much do you see that happening? Does that make sense? A little, a little bit. I try. It's funny because I'm really struggling with trying not to see that or trying not to like because I'm 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 working at. I'm doing it in the negative way right now, which I'm not proud of. And I hate that because I see it in my older daughter. Um, I see myself catch myself responding to her the same way my dad did to me, which made me not want to do things. Hmm. You know, like when that's why I hated fishing with him because he'd give you that look. He'd just give you a look like when you screwed up or something like, like you screwed up again. It's a sad reality where, like, how many times have I said to my six-and-a-half-year-old daughter without, without saying it, you're an idiot? Oh, isn't that the worst feeling? Oh, it's awful. I feel terrible for it. And it's just with my tone of voice. Like, you don't even have to use the words to say, what are you, what, are you, what were you thinking? Yeah. Like, you know, and, and I feel awful, but I'm working on it. And it's, and it's a work in progress. And it's, I think, it's, you know, it's a classic being aware of its the start. Um, cause I worry about her g- 
getting the negative parts, I, like doing going the same route I was, like yeah. low self worth, all that stuff. And I, because I, I want my best to be able to um, encourage her to do whatever she wants and encourage her to to um, try things and and do things and and have that mindset, you know. Um, and and it, I see when it works. Like I see the times when when I let go and I can just like let her be and it's funny because i'm the cook of the house yeah and i and i do all the cooking and and so it's tough when you know you get home from school pick up and daycare pick up and then i have to wait another you know it's another two hours until you know the wife gets home and we try to get we've for years have gotten our kids to bed early we're lucky that way um we usually start bedtime at six you know we're usually eating dinner by five so I feel a little pressure to get dinner ready and try and what are they going to make everybody because they're super fussy, partly because of whatever. And I remember my wife or my, uh, well, my wife is, is always encouraging. She's always supportive with that stuff too, which is great. But I, I remember I, I called my sister who's got four kids and I was just, or maybe I posted it, I think. And she saw the post and she sent me a text and she said, which I love uh, she said, you know what? When they look back on this time, they're not going to remember what they ate for dinner. They're going to yeah. remember the time they spent with you. Yeah. So maybe make that more important than, you know, um, it's good. what you're, you know, what you're cooking them or how fancy it is. Don't stress about what you're going to give them or what you're going to feed them. As long as they're healthy and they're, they're not dying, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> as long as they have something in them. And so it's this push pull of like, What's really important? Is this really important? Do I really need to die on that sword or hill or whatever? Or can I let go of that? And, and it's so amazing when you do let go of some stuff, how you know, much better they are responding to you, the kids are responding to you, or how much more f- enjoyable it is to, um, in all aspects, right? And, and you can actually be more present. It's amazing how, you know? how even in their young little minds and hearts that, they start to form a picture of how you may view them negatively. Like our daughter Layla, like she's always been a little bit clumsy. And we started responding like, oh, Layla did it again. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the shame and the panic that comes on her face when something like that happens because we've perpetuated that thing. Yeah. And now she's afraid not all the time. She's not like walking around like a wounded, you know, whatever. But but there is a knee-jerk reaction, though, to go, oh, no, I did it again. I did it again. They're going to get yeah. mad. And your heart just breaks in half. It's like, I did that. Yeah. I responded yeah. in a way enough times for them to have that perception. Yeah. we Our daughter's done the old, uh, uh, I'm a terrible I'm a terrible kid. Oof. And I'm like, and, and you just, you can't ignore it, but you can't give it fuel either yeah you know it's like the swearing thing right like she curses up a storm now too because your six-year-old <laughs> yeah yeah she's when she gets really angry at us you know you f and dad and um or what the f you know like she's she'll throw f bombs like they're nothing and that's our fault i did it too much around her um and it's that thing where you just know too like you just it's not like a shock like Oh my God, how could they be? Right. It's almost like, well, I, we know exactly why she's because of this, you know? And I don't know. I think it's just the letting go thing helps. Like, it's just like, you know, you, there's certain things that you need to be a bit firm on, but 
There's so many more things that are just like, who cares? Like one of the most, yeah. Yes to all of that. In addition to that, what I want to share with you as father to father that I've, I've come to love is when I do invariably screw up or I re- respond poorly. When I, when I kind of go down on one knee when they're sitting on the couch and I, and I go like, guys, I'm really sorry about how I said that or mm. what I said. And I'm like, I, I try to explain why I got there. Mm-hmm. And genuinely and humbly apologize and, and ask if they understand and go, will you guys forgive me? And they go, mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, can we start over? And, and, yep. and, and doing the repair. It's as, as, as healing for me as it is for them and, and the, the willingness that they have to forgive you mm. is so precious and humbling and it can split you in two in the best way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I don't try not to use that as an excuse, but I do a lot of, I do that uh, almost, almost every single time. Mm-hmm. I immediately, even today. And then again, like our six year old is so um, hyper aware again, it almost breaks my heart and but it's in a good way. Like she's so aware of herself mm-hmm. and, and things mm-hmm. and she called and I said to her, I told her that the other day, I said, don't, don't stop calling me on my crap. I said, <laughs> you, you do really well, but don't stop. I might not like it. I might go whatever, you know, but I appreciate that you do that. Um, the one day she did it when I was, um, we were rushing to get out and, uh, and I, I was answering when she was asking our, our two year old, Oh, Margo, do you want to do this? Blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and I said, no, she's fine. She's comfortable. She's like, dad, why do you always talk over whatever? I said, like, what do you mean? She's like, you know, you always answer for her, whatever. You don't let me. And I'm like, oh, so you don't let me, you mean I don't let you have a conversation with your sister? Whatever. Yeah. You always, answer. I'm like, oh, that's true. I guess I do that. I never thought, you know, stuff like that. So then today, um, I was just hit, hit a wall. I was probably hangry too. It was at dinner time my wife hadn't shown up yet and I just want them to sit at the table. It's like that frustration of just sit at the table. Just go, oh, come on. I had their food out for them first and I was getting my plate ready and I was getting ready to come sit. And the littlest one was this, she had a nap today. So she was a hot mess. And, and, uh, and I was, ah, okay, Marco, shut up or something like that. I told her, shut up. And, and, um, and Lucy said, I'd rather hear her crying than hear you swear at her. Your daughter, the younger daughter said that? Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, God, verbal you, slaps in the you face. You turned right? to dust and fell oh, on the floor. Wow. Yeah, I was just like, and I, and I said, so I just, I was, had Margo on my lap and I just, I said, Lucy, you're right. And I said, Margo, Lucy's right. And I said, I apologize. I, that wasn't inappropriate. And I should not have responded like that and said that to you and that kind of stuff, right? And, I mean, it helps for sure, but it's not, you know, it's just to work on the, yeah. not doing that. That's, Isn't it a, just an absolute trip when your kids start to figure you out or know you? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So far, so far, so good. It's like a funny, like, oh, you figured that out about dad. That's funny. That's, that's incredible. I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of those moments of like, dad, this is a character flaw in you and I see it. Yeah. Oof. Well, we, we started having family meetings. We haven't done them for a while. We were doing them consistently for a little bit, but then we stopped doing them every Sundays. And I remember the one thing we talked about, what do you want to change? 
what's one thing you what's something you could we think we should work on or we should change and it was always inevitably no yelling <laughs> it's just oh so yeah, we're, we could so, say that too or or uh we read a book and it talked about uh family being loud or whatever and and my daughter's like yep ours is loud <laughs> like oh man is it a loud home uh yeah I, I think it can be and i don't like it like we've had actually had i've had it i i'm proud of my get proud of myself when I go like a week or so without yelling. Um, and I'm not, again, I'm not proud of that. I'm proud, but I'm working on it. Like, cause it's, I think that all, again, that's what I mean by, I got that from my family, from my right. upbringing. Yep. My mom was a yeller. Yellers. And it was a more so though, we got the, at that time and that age, it was like, because we said so. It was never like, oh, yeah. never the repair. We just yell at us. And my family's loud too. So I, I hear myself, I hear my uncles and my grandfather in my, hey. It's like, oh, there you are. There you are. Yeah, exactly. There's a a Tom York line in the Radiohead album, uh, The Benz. I think it's, I forget what what song it is, but it says, just just like your father, just like your dad, you'll never change. And and even as a teenager, I was like, oh, I'm not a dad, but I know that's going to be true. Let's just listen to that again. What a line. Uh, Going way back to... I wanted to tell you this and there's no continuity with how I'm jumping That's okay. here, but um, one music lover to it, the other talking about that precious harrowing moment and human experience of being with a loved one when they pass. I don't know if you're a fan of death cap for cutie, but hey, we saw them just not too long ago in awesome. Toronto uh, off of uh Marching Bands of Manhattan? I don't know the name of the album. That I'll... I don't know. My, my wife's more of a fan than I am. There's a song called What Sarah Said. Mm, yeah, yeah, I know yeah. that one. Listen to the lyrics again. It's, yeah, I will. Oof. Oof. Um, do you do commissions? Uh, yeah. Now and then. Yeah, it depends on what it is and, and the situation. What I'm trying to... So I'm a memory guy. I, I, I'm... Uh, I, I, I place a great stock into tangible moments. Um, some, sometimes I get my guests to like sign the wine bottle or, or whatever. Like I, I'm really proud of documenting key moments in my life. Like I don't want to lose anything like that. That was like, I have my, my, my blueprints to St. James in a frame. Like mm. I'm a kind of a rat pack of, of for memories. Yeah, yeah. I like that stuff too. Um, I know you're busy. I would love to commission you to have you somehow quantify this conversation on page and draw it so that I can frame it and put it in my study and have that as a moment because this was a special talk for me. Um, I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know if you can, and I'm putting you on the spot here, but for all time for everyone to listen to in the digital universe, but I love your work and I would love to, have something that you've done based off our time together and to have that always be a, a, a place holder for those special conversations on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I would love, I would be honored to be able to um, have your work in my home. Okay. And, yeah, rep- yeah, I'll, I'll and, and, and represent this thing. And obviously yeah. like, you know, you're worth everything you're worth and, and I'd be happy to, to commission that because, uh, I've been doing this long enough now. We're in their second year. I'd like to have more evidence of it other than what's uh, digital mm-hmm. and to have certain mm-hmm. things physically in my house. No pressure. Yeah. No pressure. 
Um, no, I'll think of something. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just like that, we're at two hours. Um, I think you, you were saying that you were nervous. I, I, you're very good at this. And I, I, I don't say that to a lot of people. I think I've said that maybe seven times. And like, I, I think it's because you're good at it. I think that's oh, dude, what's that's, helped. I think it, it helped because uh, it is. We're just having a conversation. Yeah. And I think that's what I loved about it. It's really, it was, really easy. It, it, you're good at the... Um, and I noticed that about you when I, I listened to the other ones, your other episodes. Is what I loved about them was um, you can feel that you're genuinely interested mm. in the guest. You can, you get, that comes through. Thank you, man. And then, um, and I think I just get inspired by like your stories about, you know, like I talk about, you know, I was talking openly about my struggles as a dad, I guess. So I hear your stories about, cause I, <clears throat> I've struggled with this for years where I feel like sometimes I don't feel like I'm passionate enough. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, cause you see people that are just like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm happy about things. Like, you know, I went and saw, um, my wife and I went and saw a first aid kit in Toronto. Okay. I've been dying to see them for ever since I found out about them. They're the most amazing, just sound amazing. I love their song, Emmy Lou. If you watch the video on YouTube of it, they have a live version where they, they actually perform it for Emmy Lou. She's wow, Emily Harris? Yeah, and you, right see, you see her um, tear up a bit. Wow. And um, it was great. It was a great concert. But if I tell you about it, the way I tell you, I'm like, it doesn't sound like, eh, eh. So like inside, I'm like, yeah, this is amazing. Oh my God, this is the song. I love it. But on the outside, I'm always like, eh, yeah, it's like, I, you know, I, I did a job, like right now, I just got a job today, thankfully, um, a fast job I have to get done for Friday for Wall Street Journal. And because, uh, you know, things slow down a little bit and I don't want to, you know, I want to take whatever I can kind of sometimes. But um, so it's like the Wall Street Journal. Everybody's like, that's so cool. I'm like, yeah, it's a job. You know, I'm the same way. You know what I mean? I'm like, I feel, I don't feel like. Are you excited about things like? But the, no. I mean, even the way you talk about your kids and whatever, I don't feel that way. Like, mm. and I don't know. I've talked about this. I felt almost. Any, I feel guilty or shame, but it's like when you when I go, like I'm not dying to hang out with my kids. Like when I get a chance, like on I get I have a Sunday or Monday the seventh. I'm going to go to Scandinavian Spa again. I do cool. that once a year at least, and I go there by myself. I drive up, I put on a podcast Good or whatever. For you. And I spend, I get a massage and I spend the day in the thing, have some food, drive home. And it's, thankfully, that's the, one of the huge beauties of my wife is that she's big in self-help and right. self-care. <clears throat> so she's encouraging of that. She's like, yeah, yeah, she booked it for me. But I'm like, I don't miss them at all. I'm like, thank God, I don't miss my family at all. I'm like, I'm free for a day. Right. Whereas other people are like, I can't wait to spend. And then part of it is, I mean, I wonder if it's because I'm with them a lot, a lot more than a lot of people. You know, I work from home. I, my one daughter's only in daycare um, three days a week. So I'm with her for Tuesdays and Thursdays all day. So I see them a lot. You don't get a chance to. Yeah, exactly. Like I haven't had that, you know, and I said, maybe if I did have the nine to five job, I'd be like, yeah, I can't wait for the weekend so we can all go. I think so. So it's sometimes I just hear people talk about their kids and I'm like, Hmm. I don't have that. Like I, of course I would do anything for them and I love them to pieces. And my favorite thing now is to see my older daughter 
um, either figuring things out or getting excited about new things. Mm -hmm. Like she just now, it's funny just now learning how to ride a bike with training wheels. And we tried getting her to do it earlier and she wouldn't. And we're terrible teachers because we're just super impatient. And again, it's like, Oh, why can't you just, just balance. And it's funny. She just decided on her own. She wanted to ride learn how to ride a bike. And just got on this bike that's too small for her. Helmet's too small for her. But she just, all she wants to do is rip around the corner, ride around the block. And so she asks us every day, now, can I go around the block? Can we go around the block? And I'm like, that's amazing. So now we're going to go get her a bike that actually fits her because she's grown too big for this one. Just just to encourage you, I I do pride myself in having a fairly good gut read on people. I I would say how you... And I've, it's, I've taken, it's taken me years to realize this. And I'm even married to someone who isn't overly verbose with emotion. Whereas my family was like standing in front of a jet engine. It's like emotion, emotion. Yeah. Um, you are a good dad and, and you do feel deeply. And I see it in your illustration. You can't, your, your work is, is it pops with color and, and it's, it's vivacious. That, that comes from an honest place. So that's definitely in there. I, I, and I, hearing your remorse about the shortcomings as a dad, like we all have, mm-hmm. there's love behind that. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, and I think if you're like Mr. Mom and yeah. you're, they're always <laughs> up your butt, it's really easy to not feel like you miss them. Yeah. Like, I get that for sure. It's, it's man, parenthood. It's, it's a, you know what? Parenthood is even, I don't know what's a bigger mirror if marriage or being, being a father. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. It's tough. I mean, it goes back to the, the Rick Rubin. I mean, I think I just want to learn how to get rid of that ego and just chill, not obnoxiously chill, but just let go more. It's, I, because I, I even wonder how often do you think he even judges anybody? Like I just think, yeah, I know. I, I I do that not too much. I've gotten better at not doing that, but like, or complaining. You know, like there's a book I read called The Secrets of a Millionaire Mind, and um, and the guy in that book he he challenges you to try and go a week without complaining. It's fucking hard, right? man. Because his point is that most successful people that you see in the world that are super successful business owners, company owners, they're in that position because they're too busy to complain. Yeah. Not to say that they don't aren't going to bitch about traffic or, oh, God, it's raining again. But it's like the point is that they don't complain about all the major things. They just, like, they, yeah. they don't have the time. They're still busy doing what they're doing to be that yeah. successful or I'm, whatever that is. I'm good at majoring on minors. And I, I yeah. torment my wife. <laughs> because she's a sprite. She's like, ah, she's just, she's just a sun yeah. tot. Right. And yeah. I'm, I'm definitely more curmudgeon and prickly. And I've always leaned towards a more melancholy slant. Mm-hmm. Like I, outwardly, a lot of people will go, really? But if you get to really know me, like I'm very Scorpio, mm-hmm. very like, in <laughs> uh, my poor wife, but, uh, and I know that I'm, you know that that point where you re, your grace period is going is just about to end, where your kids start to catch on to you, mm-hmm. like they're going to start catching that shit, and yeah. I hate that. Yeah, I hate that. Yeah, but we, my my only hope is that I love them so much that it will cover the multitude of my inevitable sins of you know being a human. Yeah, and I, I my goal is to try and correct most of it now or soon, so that my 
oldest daughter isn't going to be in this state where her whole upbringing in life is is um, almost like second-handedly taking care of her sister because like her, yeah, to shield her from, from yeah big bad dad exactly yeah and i don't i guess that her responsibility and, yeah you okay. know um so whatever it is what it is <laughs> I, 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 it'll will, be fine will, will you come back on and, and chat again yeah absolutely yeah I, yeah I really enjoyed our time together man i it's it's funny like it's a lot of fun who knew i mean i'm looking at the chair the table you were sitting at uh that you know all these years later this this conversation was waiting mm-hmm. that's incredible man i um i genuinely love your work um i'd be honored to have something one day uh, of yours um and you've inspired I'll, me i'll think of something i'll, yeah. I'll, I'll come up i would love that I, but yeah. you uh i'm coming away inspired like i'm i'm, I'm there are certain quotes from your from your mentors I will not forget. That's very yeah. very good. And in closing, I would also I, I'll, again I'll, I'm going to give you a nice, nice loving tap. Um, one of my fa- favorite things to say is, is who do I not know right now that will one day be a major player in my life? Mm. Who do I not know right now that I will love one day? Mm. I love that. What mind? have you not met yet that you have not helped shape and inspire them to be an amazing artist? I, I would just, I want to leave that with you. I think there's a, there's a, there's a teachership mm-hmm. thing in you and uh, would encourage you to, to, to bravely go down that road. My wife is FaceTiming me. I'm going to choose to answer this in live because it's real. Hi, Sam. It's my son. <laughs> this is Sam. This is Michael. He's an artist. He's very good. Can I call you back, Buster? I'm, on, I'm just recording my podcast. Yeah. I love you. Are you okay? We just saying. We just saying good night. Can you say good night to everybody? Can you say good night to everybody on the podcast? Night, everybody. <laughs> that was perfect, pal. I love you so much. That's I'll awesome. see you tomorrow in the morning. Okay. Okay. I love you. That's awesome. Bye. Yeah, see, my... Uh, that was lightning in a bottle, man. You couldn't have planned that. Yeah, my kids have been in bed for about three hours now. Oh, dude, when you said <laughs> 6 o'clock, I'm like, Dad, you're a pro. We, well, t- we try to start the train, but they just find every yeah. way. Well, what happened for us was it started with our, our oldest, Lucy. She, I guess what happened was my wife was um, breastfeeding her, and she would always be falling asleep breastfeeding at 5. Okay. And she thought, well, maybe this is just when her... The rhythm. The rhythm is. So let's just start putting her to bed at that time. And we, we stuck to it pretty good. We'd hmm. start bedtime at five, right after we're done eating. And we go up and start doing this stuff. And then that slowly crept up over time to six. And our youngest now, she naps later and she's just up. Our oldest one, she falls asleep, I guess, quick, not super not, fast. Not fair. Yeah. And she's out like a light. Are you a good sleeper? Yeah, I am. I sleep, but yeah. getting to sleep can be... I sleep pretty good. I you know do the whole leave my phone in the other room thing and see if and I have a good if I have a good podcast where if I have a really great catering event I'm like I'm on and yeah. I'm buzzing and oh, I'm, I'm, sure. I'm just yeah, yeah, awake yeah, yeah. Yeah. for sure okay. I get that like, I I mean I I drink coffee I could drink coffee at at six o'clock and, and then I still go to bed I mean that I've found lately that I sometimes find myself staying up a bit but I just have to close my eyes and lie there on my back and I fall asleep pretty quick since my weight loss. If I, there is definitely a, a, a mark, a marker where I can't go beyond a certain amount of coffee. Otherwise I'll start feeling like I'm having a, 
was panic, that weird, by attack. the way? Was that like, was it weird at first to be like, because I would imagine you'd noticeably feel lighter. Like, no? Would you? Oh, dude. Was it just weird to walk? There, there will be a podcast to, to discuss this. Uh, <laughs> I've, actually sure, had, yeah. I've actually had, I've actually had some previous guests go, can I interview you? Um, I'm like, yeah. yeah uh, actually, one of my greatest, every time I bend down to tie my shoelace, every time I hop off the couch, uh, buying a pair of pants that's normal sized. Yeah. How long has it been now? The little joys. Uh, but to answer your question, like uh, I still surprised. I, so when you're when you're when you're unhappily overweight, you avoid mirrors. You avoid. Mm. I used to do this really quick side glance to kind of see my look in the mirror, and then I go, yeah, I didn't just hate it. And it's 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 a it's a it's a pleasure to glance at a photo of you and not hate what you see. So it was a long road, man. It was a long, a lot to unpack. Uh, but yes, to your to your question, um, I am. I'm 201 now from 399. Wow. That's 198 pounds lost. And uh, to say I, I feel good and I feel light is an understatement. I, mm-hmm. First of all, I, don't, I couldn't tell you the last time I remember being this, this weight um, and running up the stairs. Mm-hmm. Just that stuff. Uh, what was the other thing you had asked me? Something else we were talking about? I've lost it. Yeah. Um, I, I want to have you back. There's, there's, there's some people that I'm like, okay, they, they just simply need to come back. Jacqueline mm-hmm. Barber, the, the, the photographer before you. Um, yeah, that was a great episode. Easy conversation. She's, yeah, she's, yeah. she's lives in Guelph as well. Yeah. yeah. And uh, just like. Congrats on that, by the way. Dude, I'm. I mean, if it thank, is. Congrats. No, no, it is. It's, it's took me about a year to like warm up to it, but uh, it's a culture shock more than anything, but I'm like getting excited now. I'm like, okay, there's something. Like Guelph, you're gonna be in the south end, though, right? Yeah, but, but and Guelph's like five cities in one, and yeah. it's it is charming, and and I am excited about doing some world building and meeting people. It's it's very like the downtown area, and people live there. Yeah. It's like that's an, a world. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, there's their own world, and because they the people that live outside of that don't usually go downtown. Yeah. They don't usually go anywhere it's else. It's like Toronto or Ottawa. There's like little sections, mm-hmm. the Glebe, or you yeah. know. Um, it's charming and it's starting to pop in all the right ways. And uh, I'm a little bit scared because I know eventually we'll probably open something because I have to. Yeah. Because you know what? They'll need you to do that. I, if, if, you, if, you can, if you can produce something like this, as charming as this thanks, or wonderful man. as this there, yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll enjoy that. Well, I'd, I'd, like to, uh, I'd like to do a fully realized version of the scope that I really want to do. I, I, I had crazy intentions with St. James and all this ideas. And then it was the brunch that became a thing. And then that's what we kind of did. But, uh, it's like old Quebec. There's such great old buildings that I want to do stuff in. Mm. You need to check out this new place called Sunday blooms. It's on Wyndham. Mm-hmm. No. Woolwich. Century home. Ice cream, espresso, housewares, okay. f- floral. Okay. From all the all the stylistic appointments to how they painted the front door to the courtyard around back yeah. to the staff to the vibe. I, I miss Guelph a lot. Stunning. So we lived there for four years. Sorry to interrupt. No, we no. lived there for four years. Or I lived there for four years. My wife lived there for seven, maybe something like that. Come back. We moved here. We need friends. Come back. Right. I. I've often wondered that because, like, I didn't want to move to Hamilton. No offense to Ham- no, didn't, Hamiltonians eh? yeah. uh, that are listening. Um, <laughs> I didn't. 
I it took me a long time, like and even the other day I saw, you know what Hamilton smells like to me? It smells like the mix between a musty basement and an ashtray. It can. It can. You know, and I'm just like I I lo- I love what's going on in some so much creativity coming out of the city, which I love. Yeah. Um, that's one of my main, f- but then also I'm guilty of not participating. I've been in my stuck in my studio mm-hmm. and I haven't been venturing out, meeting a lot of people networking as much as maybe I could have. Cause when we were in Guelph, we had a community, we lived yeah. downtown. We, um, I worked at the art store. I worked at Wyndham for five years. Cool. Um, so I knew everybody, I knew all the artists, I knew all the, uh, people that own most of the shops, you know, you go and then like all, everything we needed was there. The best, um, floral place or, you know, to buy flowers was there. What was it called? It's still there. Um, what do you call it? Oh my God. It's, it's escapes me right now. It's I'm wondering, well, I'm wondering if it's the same people that opened this place I was talking about. Anyway. Um, maybe it might've been, I don't think so though. It's, oh my God, I feel bad now. Anyways, I used to go there to get flowers randomly for my wife, and um, I just missed that aspect of it. That we just didn't know when you go into any place, they would know me. Yeah. You know, they would know my order. Yeah. They would know, like you know, they're like the guy I worked with at the art store. He he goes into the uh, Red Brick Cafe, and they actually have an, his drink, like his on the on the POS. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's a Tom Austin because this other guy Tom, they both got the same thing. Great name. And it was so. There's a Tom Austin. Um. And it's just a certain kind of mix of drink, whatever. And and I thought that was awesome. Like it's that kind of stuff I love about. I'm getting excited. Town, you know. I'm getting excited. It's, yeah. it's There's a, there's a, there's a sense of expectation and, and excitement there, and it's you can tell the talent pool is starting to get really cool. Yeah. Um. And there's some really cool bohemian older neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm pretty stoked. And then like we're gonna get some chickens because we can. Yeah. We're gonna right? get a duck. Yeah. The people, the tradesies that are working on our you get uh, a goat. Yeah, uh, that are working on a renovation. Like these guys have Berkshire pork farms. They, they all these micro farms that are. Yeah. I'm like, as a chef, I can't wait to start getting embedded yeah. with all that. So I think you should maybe move there. Right. You, you know what, dude? Let's let's uh, let's grab a coffee in Guelph soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that was uh, <laughs> that was lovely. I Michael Byers, Mike Byers, my friend Mike. Thank you so much for. Um, being such an authentic dude and uh i'm a fan of your work and and i'm a fan of your story and and who you are thank you for letting me get to see a side of you that i didn't know um to to, like i said to think that that this great conversation was lying in wait for us that was great (laughs) i hope to do more of that and uh and to and to hang also sidebar i don't know did you see on any of the socials the thing i was doing called x or the times where yeah yeah. so I would love for you to be my guest at the next one, which will probably be in about a month or so. It's nothing but a room of creatives stuffed in a room with a bar. And uh, we do a live interview and um, try to get some music and some art on the wall. And it's just meeting really cool people and doing cool stuff. Sure. So I'd love yeah, for you yeah. to be there. Uh, sidebar. Okay. Uh, where can people find you in terms of socials and, and such? Um, Instagram is just my name at Michael Byers. Okay. Um, Twitter well, X, I guess. I'm not. Don't bother going there. Just, <laughs> just Instagram. Go to Threads. Just go to Instagram. I have a website, michaelcbuyers.com. Cool. I haven't updated in a long time, but <laughs> I yeah. should update soon. Okay. But uh, you can see work there or, or Instagram mostly, though. Amazing. Uh, Mike, thanks so much, man. Yeah, thank I, you. I really, really yeah, appreciate, I appreciate it. it. This won't be the last time we hang out. I uh, look forward to more uh, moments with you. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Night.